I see two, uh, three, four spotters. Uh, they're watching for worm sign. Worm sign? The sand wave moving toward the crawler. They'll have a seismic probe on the surface too. Worms sometimes travel too deep for the wave to show. It should be a carry-all wing around, but uh, you know, I, I, I don't see it. Worm always comes, eh? <laughs> always. How big an area does each worm stake out? Well, uh, that depends on the size of the worm, you know. Uh, What's the variation? Uh, big ones may control three or four hundred square kilometers. Uh, small ones... <laughs> Is that the worm sign? Worm! Big one! Calling crawler Delta Ajax Niner. Worm sign warning. Crawler at Delta Ajax Niner. Worm sign warning. Acknowledge, please. Who calls Delta Ajax Diner? Over. They seem pretty cold about it. Unlisted flight. North and east of you about three kilometers. Worm sign is on intercept course. Your position estimated contact 25 minutes. This is, this is spotter control. Sighting confirmed. Stand by for contact. Fix. Contact 26 minutes minus. That was a sharp estimate. Who's on that unlisted flight? Over. Is this the regular working frequency kinds? Yes. Uh, why? Who'd be listening? Just the work crews in the area. It cuts down interference. This is Delta Ajax Niner. Who gets bonus credit for the spot? Over. Spot a credit to the Duke Leto Atreides. The Duke Leto Atreides. Over. We, we read and thank you. Now tell them to divide the bonus among themselves. Tell them it's the Duke's wish. It's the Duke's wish that you divide the bonus among your crew. Do you read? Over. And thank you. I forgot to mention Gurney is uh, also very talented in public relations. This lets the men know that the Duke is concerned for their safety. Word will get around. It was on an area working frequency. Not likely a Harkonnen agent, sir. And we're a pretty strong force. It was a good risk. What happens now? There's a carry-all wing somewhere close. It'll come in and lift off the crawler. What if the carry-all's wrecked? Some equipment is lost. Uh, get in close over the crawler, my lord. You'll find this interesting. Rich spice bed by the color. They'll continue working until the last minute. Shouldn't we be hearing them call in the carry-all? They usually have the wing on a different frequency. Shouldn't they have two carry-alls standing by for every crawler? There should be 20, 26 men on that machine down there. Don't mention the cost of the equipment. You don't have enough ex Any of you see the wing? He isn't answering. Report by the numbers, Oliver. This is far control. Last I saw, the wing was pretty high and circling off the uh, northwest. I don't see him now. Over. Spotter one, negative over. Spotter two, negative over. Spotter three, negative over. Only four spotters, is that right? Correct. There are five in our party. Our ships are larger. We can crowd in three extra each. Their spotters ought to be able to lift off two each. 
That's three short. Why don't they have two carry-alls for each crawler? You don't have enough extra equipment. All the more reason we should have to protect what we have. Where did that carry-all go? Could have been forced down somewhere out of sight. How could they lose sight of, that, of a carry-all? They keep their attention on the ground looking for worm sign. This is your Duke. We're coming down to take you off Delta, Ajax, Niner crew. All spotters are ordered to comply. Spotters will land on the east side. We'll take the west. Over. Uh, almost a full load of spikes. We must have a full load. Can't leave that for the damn worm. Over. Damn the spice! We can always get more spice. There's seats in our ship for all but three of you. Draw straws or decide any way you'd like who's to go. But you are going, and that's an order. Sorry. How much time? Nine minutes. This ship has more power than the others. If we took off under jet with three-quarter wings, we could crowd in an additional man. That sounds soft. With full extra men aboard the jet takeoff, we can snap the wings, sire. Not on this ship. Gurney, you and Paul, toss out that rear seat. Why the devil aren't they coming out of that machine? Hopefully the carry-alls will show up. They still have a few minutes. Two of you, toss out your shield generators. By the numbers, you can carry more, more men that way. We're not leaving any men for that monster. All right, you, you and Delta Ajax Niner, out now. This is a command from your Duke. On the double, or I'll cut that crawler apart with a laser gun. Two men, each into your spotters. Four over here. Four to that ship back there. Three each into the others. Run, you sand dogs! I hear the work, but I can't see it! Damn sloppy way to operate. Here you go, boys. On the double. The left! It's almost done! Blast off! We still have almost three minutes on the original contact estimate. Is that right, Kynes? Almost exactly, my lord. Very heavy, sire. Well within the tolerance of this ship. You didn't really think I'd risk this cargo, did you, Gurney? A bit of it, sire. The worm is now beneath the crawler! You're about to witness a thing few have seen. God, what a monster! Oh, spice! Someone's gonna pay for this. I promise you that. Bless the Maker and his water. Bless the coming and going of him. May his passage cleanse the world. May he keep the world for his people. Recycled urine from your still suit, 
grip tight your Harkonian las gun, then pushed your way through a tent sphincter, all the while your mom watches, then you're either in the greatest science fiction novel ever written, or you're on the set of Mom Teaches Coital Rhythm 9. <laughs> but I'm not alone. Across the table from me, even though he hasn't read a single page of the book we're about to discuss, his consumption of the geriatric spice will allow him the prescient knowledge of chapters yet to come, and chapters that have not even been written yet. It's Luke. We well, can't just go from this all this sexual tension and just leave me hanging right as we're at the climax of the book, Bob. What's happening to me? It becomes Who am I? It becomes farcical. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah, uh, part two of Dune, and as Bob said, I, I did. I just went through, watched the movie. For those of you who are for some reason jumping into part two and don't know this, <laughs> or just forgotten because I'm a forgettable character and all my lines are on the cutting room floor because I got weird last episode. <laughs> it was, it was rough. <laughs> Oh, man, let, let's kick things off. To my right, don't touch him tonight. He's taking a Cialis pill. It's Glob. <laughs> I already did. <laughs> Greetings, my young Fremen warriors. It's been quite a week in your old Uncle Glob's desert cavern. Again and again, I'm reminded of the time I spent a few days in the wilderness with a lithe native female companion, snuggling together to conserve our body heat as we hid from those monsters of the unknown frontier that would do us harm, until eventually we found ourselves embracing a coital rhythm that gave me visions of possible futures surrounded by the smell of nutmeg and cloves. <laughs> Were we in the sands of a distant planet, or the snowy tundra above the wall? Arrakis? Westeros? Does anyone else see this? Is Jon Snow Paul Atreides? Have the Betty Gesserits manipulated the gene pools so much that Irulan is actually Paul's aunt? <laughs> Will Irulan begin massacring innocent civilians with a large sandworm until Paul is forced to stab her to save the sand throne? Everybody just pauses. That's brilliant. <laughs> just think about it. <laughs> you know what that is when your cousin becomes your husband? That, he's, he's your husband. It's Game, it's game of Thrones! Across the table from me, he's spending the next few months teaching summer school at Curtage. He taught, he student taught under Professor X until he was caught heavy petting Kitty Pride in her sleep. The Danny DeVito to my Arnold Schwarzenegger. Ted, how are you on this thunderous she, evening? She was awake, my friend. <laughs> she was awake. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. Uh, as Herbert's coital rhythm begins to increase and your affection for evocative language builds to a blasting point, I want you to pause your thumpers and join us for a revealing look at books two and three of Dune. What's in store, you might wonder? Wrestling in the desert, riding worms, and raining down holy jihad upon your enemies. Mordeba. I send it over to Danny P. He's got his jitterbug prose. Have at it, my friend. <laughs> jitterbug. It just printed out that way. Jitterbug. Now that a sandworm has breached my podcast hymen and exploded its space juices all over my water-fat body, I am no longer an unsheathed Chris knife. I am a man with leader Johns of water to my name. I will try to maintain my rigorous standards and not prematurely explode like a laser gun touching a personal shield, relying on the guidance of the prophet Tam Tam to guide my success criteria to the golden path. Oh. Oh. 
A Lay's gun, sandworms, and earlon, or sigh, is all I need to become the Quizark set hack. So seal your seal your so seal your still suits, because this pre-spiced mass is ready to blow as we prepare to talk about books two and three. Oh! Thank you. Well, we're all riled up for this one. Wow. What a reveal. One cannot teach you your own coinal rhythm. <laughs> you must discover it. <laughs> you must discover yourself. it yourself. Well, here we are. Um, part two. Uh, the f last recording session was crazy. We only got through book two. Our goal is to get through book we only got oh, through. Sorry. We only got through book one. Our goal here is to get through book two and three. But uh, after reading book one, where does everybody stand? What are we? What are we thinking of Dune so far? Luke, you haven't read the book. No. What are you thinking? Anything we say make you want to read this book? Um, it kind of was, but the more we talk about the books to follow. I don't think this is really a universe I want to get into. Dune Messiah, D Children of Dune, God Emperor of Dune, yeah, Heretics of And I Dune. don't really know that we've talked about it on the show much. Um, no, not on the show. Just a little in passing about what you guys are going to do on Deeper Delves. Uh, and it, you're not selling it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. That is correct. I mean, if you think about it, I, the equivalent of uh, what we already did was like eating mushrooms on the sidewalk. Uh, Deeper Delves is like hitting LSD in the basement with Frank Herbert for 12 days uh, with the nightlights on. It's scary, man. Scary. What he's referring to is after this episode is done, we're going to do a couple Deeper Delves episodes where yeah. we're going to review uh, Dune Messiah and Children of Dune. Uh, so we'll have a, a new panel for that and go a little bit deeper. But yes. Deeper. Well, very, very good mm -hmm. description. Well, I tell you what, let's get rolling. we got to do a little tavern talk here. So, Danny, you are still the new guy, so that means you still have to buy first round. We do have some, we do have some fire spice whiskey shots over there. Um, if they'll bring them over there. Honey, can you bring those over here? Yeah, no, it's okay. Take off the Benny Jesuit robe first. Thank you. <laughs> hey, we don't serve there. Do you have any blue milk? Well, what am I supposed to find in a... Oh, my goodness. It's bigger on the inside. I want to go to Taki's Dictionary. Power Converters! Okay, okay, it's not a detonator, it's just a jammy dodger. What will it be, boys? Tavern Talk. Alright, we're back. We're gathered around the tavern fire. Uh, the geriatric spice and nutmeg has mixed in this warm concoction. Earthy aroma. We've lit a couple spice sticks. Mm. <laughs> I'm feeling I'm feeling primed and ready to get going on uh, reviewing Dune. But before we do that, we're here in Tavern Talk, that portion of the show where we take around half an hour or so uh, to go around the table and uh, see what's happening in everybody's nerd universe. So I'm gonna start off with you, Luke. How has your nerd universe been? I have gone down a rabbit hole. Um, HBO recently released a little mini-series about Chernobyl, mm. uh, and going into it, I knew very little. Uh, watched the first three episodes, and then I spent, um, I want to say, every evening for the next five days watching documentaries and reading about Chernobyl oh, and what wow. happened. I don't know why. <laughs> um, the event is, or the event, the miniseries, uh, the last episode's out now, I'm gonna finish that probably after you guys leave tonight. Um, and then after that, um, I was listening to, uh, 
I'd say, I don't know, f- friend show to our show, uh, Occulte Veritatis, uh, they did yeah. a, an episode on the murder of Dee Dee Blanchard. Um, there's also a show on Hulu uh, called The Act, where they, it's a dramatization of everything that happened um, with that murder and with her daughter, Gypsy Rose, who she was uh, uh, medically and emotionally abusing. Um, so and that was that's my new rabbit hole that I'm diving down right now. I oh, listened wow. to their podcast about it, went and watched the sh- the entire show on Hulu, um, and now I've just been watching like interviews on TV uh, with Gypsy Rose, who is serving a ten year prison sentence for killing her mother. Hmm. Wow. Um, so uh, yeah, the, there's good stuff on the internet and uh, lots of uh, lots of good real lots of good stuff based on real life events that has just supplemental material for you to go and dive into but that's that's what I've been doing that's why we love history Bob that's why history is important history is incredibly important also fascinating Mm. it is (laughs) and edifying Mm, I would say edifying I would guess and that's that's it for me because those two shows have been ruling my life lately uh Clob um sir ain't kids uh, basically, not too terribly much. We've kind of been coming to the end of our job year, so been really busy with things. I did happen to see go out and see John Wick 3. Mm. Um, I did. Again, I really like the John Wick series. It is one of those series, though, I will admit that the first one was so different, and the first one was such a such a an action almost masterpiece that the sequels don't really hold up as well as the first one does because I did go back and watch the first two before I went and saw the third one but the third one um is actually very good and it's again again it's it's shoot 'em up it's uh Keanu Reeves walking around kicking everybody's ass and it's uh Ian McShane uh plays another uh Big part of it, Ian McShane. Will, Ian McShane will always be one of my favorite actors. Yeah, I know. I, I watched the first one and I really liked it, uh, but then I don't know that the world needed two and three. I know, and I know number three is doing really well in the box office. I would say that three is actually better than two. Okay. Mm. Yeah, I just I don't. It's just you know it's that's just an action film for action. That film seems sake. to always happen with action franchises for me. Is the first one comes out, it's always a hit. The second one comes out, it's a little bit of a down step, mm. and then they get their stuff together for three again. Uh, it, Die Hard, Lethal Weapon. Mm. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, other thing, I'm, <laughs> nice. Um, the TV show I've been getting into and I just started because it just came out on AMC is Nosferatu and it's N O S number porn. four. Appreciate a it. Vamp porn. Number two. <laughs> and it's not, it's actually not vampire. Uh, vamp vamp porn? From porn. Vampire. Uh, it's got Zachary Quinto who plays like this energy vampire. It's not like the blood like bites you in the neck vampire. It's yeah, like the sucking. Yeah. It's yeah. like the sucking energy vampire. Uh, and I'm only two episodes in right now, but it's super creepy. It's super dark. It's based on a novel um, by a guy named Joe Joe Rogan. Bell. Um, Take it's, that again. Tell us yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 so you're looking it up on Google. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Fact check. There's nothing wrong with fact. There's nothing check. wrong with fact check. Joe we should Hill. we should try it once. In a while. Yeah, yeah. We should. Oof. Joe, sorry, Joe Hill. Joe Hill. Joe, yeah, it's based on a novel by a guy named Joe Hill, and it's just and right now everybody's just trying to figure out where these kids keep disappearing from. And then there's a supernatural girl that's going to end up being the crime fighter. Really cool effects. Really cool kind of artsy, creepy stuff to go along with it. The other thing I've been doing is I found this free app on the App Store called Evolution 2. And it's basically kind of a mix between Contra and Starship Troopers. 
Okay. And it's it's just a, it's a shooter game. It's where you can buy different armor, you save up money and supplies, and you build different things and you learn different things as you go throughout the game. But just kind of a quick, addicting little time little time killer. Uh, along with that. Um, other than that, that's basically what I'm doing. I'm looking, really looking forward to summer. I'll be giving you guys, uh, we'll be doing the uh, Fishing with Uncle Club reports as time goes on. Oh, uh, look forward to and, that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The most exciting uh, segment on the show next to Paul does sports. <laughs> Ted, what have you been up to? Uh, I dove into uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey. So I've been in Greece, uh, roaming around, reading historical uh, blurbs, about ancient Greece and mythology. So I like that game a lot. Uh, Assassin's Creed Origins was also really good, and that was in Egypt. So they've both been, oh, both been cool. uh, really good on the PS4. Yeah. That's it. That's all you've been I want to go to Greece now. <laughs> <laughs> well, here it's cheap. Yeah. <laughs> Mamma Mia was in Greece. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of that musical. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, that's it. Um, other than that, wrapping up the year and then uh, going to Europe but not going to Greece. So that's sad. So what are your plans in Europe? Tell, what is there anything yeah. of any, any, any Dungeons and Dweebs meetups? So <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'll be promoting uh, my reading of Dune uh, in Belgium. <laughs> I won't actually be in Belgium, but um, strictly no pants at that reading. Where will you be? Uh, uh, we have listeners in Belgium. Where else are you going? Is Spain, this by, is Spain this Italy, France, uh, Portugal, Iceland. We have nobody in Spain, Ooh, I, but we have Italy. Is now. this? Uh, now let me ask you this, Ted. Is this by chance a honeymoon? <laughs> No, definitely not. (laughs) (laughs) With Frank's words, that's it. He's coming with me. Um, I'm I'm jealous of Iceland. I've I've always wanted to go there. I'll send you pictures. Yes. Yes. So, Danny P., what have you been up to lately? Not much. It's a busy time for the kids. So, doing a lot of uh, running around with those. But I did get a chance to to invest some time into uh, Oregon Trail. Oh, really? Yeah, I could not master it with the, uh, was it the farmer? Okay. And you hunt your way through. Couldn't do it. But did you Didn't make it to the river or road? So <laughs> I cheated. I went with the banker, uh, bought everything, and uh-huh. hammered it out, and I won. Really? And it's, I feel is good. it simply because of money? Because the banker has the most money? Yep. Money wins, kids. Hey, you can buy everything. There's a right. la- there's a la- life lesson for there you. There is kids. a life lesson. <laughs> money trumps. Money is the ultimate superpower. Get, get rich. Don't worry about any skills. You don't have to have any skills at all. <laughs> Pay people to bathe you. Otherwise, <laughs> that's a goal. It's worth it. It would be awesome, yes. I think. Like coming to America. <laughs> Otherwise, listen to the Mysterious Universe, another podcast Bob recommended. Yeah. It's kind of like the mellow last podcast version. It's, yeah, it's, it's far more mellow. It's a soft rock, rock station. Yeah. You know, Yacht rock. If it's summer and uh, you want to listen to something soft with the kids, put on Mysterious <laughs> yeah. Universe. <laughs> you don't have to worry about. No. What the well, hell is that guy's name? Uh, Henry Zabrowski. <laughs> Henry. That's worked by Henry. Yeah, you don't have to worry about Henry. And then slathering <laughs> himself in CBD. <laughs> I'm thinking about UFOs. Nice. Well, I tell you. Well, no, no, why are you skipping me now? All of a sudden, it's coming to me. Won't throw it to you. <laughs> <laughs> throw it to me, Dan. Bob, what have you been doing? Well, uh, we've got a full plate uh, so far. First of all, uh, what I'm disappointed with everybody here at the table is, as of right now, the time, I'm marking this for historical purposes, <laughs> is June 4th. Gentlemen, we are in the midst of disclosure. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> the History Channel has run unidentified inside America's UFO investigation. Uh, we are about to blow the lid off of the government cover-up of UFOs. Oh, the Tic Tac. The Tic Tac. Yeah. The Nimitz and the Tic Tac has hit mainstream. Uh, I'm not going to say that I was there a long time ago. <laughs> I was there a long time ago. Pantomiming a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, after taking a deep dive through last podcast on, on the left, uh, all of their UFO stuff, uh, going back to Rendlesham Forest, um, reading a bunch of books by J. Allen Hynek, um, and, and everything else. Uh, I'm, I'm just uh, being swept away. It's going to be the summer... Of, uh, of disclosure. Does anybody have for it. any personal UFO experiences? No. Luke. I saw, I saw a moose once. Were you ever touched by ghosts? I don't like. <laughs> I don't. I don't like the flippant tone you're taking with sightings. <laughs> well, no. Yeah. I just. I just told yeah. him that I've never seen one. He just kept grilling me. I'm like, well, I saw a moose once. <laughs> that is rare. Danny, you seen anything? No, I want to though. Real bad. I want it too bad. That's why. Mm. That, yeah. Club, you seen anything? Uh, UFOs, no. Have had some experience with ghosts and spooks and specters, Ooh. but not UFOs. Not the spooks. Soinks. <laughs> nice. Uh, Ted? Uh, absolutely not. But I've seen a lot of shooting stars, and those are beautiful. I I am with Danny, where I think I want it so bad that it's never going to happen. You I, there was one night I was like ten years old, and my brother called up and said, oh, "I've been watching this thing out the window. It's crazy. It's like a trapezoid, and it turns into a octagon, and there's lights at the point." Like he tells me all this stuff. It's heading out. I'm getting in the jeep to chase it down Highway 16. Uh, but you just go out and look to the west, and you're going to see it. No, east. And so I I run out. My parents had a bunch of friends over, so it was one of those nights where you know where like the the you're upstairs uh, trying to stay awake as your parents are loudly conversating with just all their wasted. friends. Wasted. <laughs> <I'm just laughs> yeah. like, do you think Bobby's asleep uh, yet? No, my parents were not drinkers, but oh, they were having like long night conversations about politics. Drunk on words, shouting at each other uh, about not politics again. or something. Oh, so, oh, Clinton's oh, at it again. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Harry's got that like ban on thirty shot clips. Uh, <laughs> oh, hey Janice, do you want another cup of coffee? That's basically what it was. So I run down the stairs. I'm like, my brother just called. He says there's a UFO outside. And I went and ran out, looked to the east, and all I could see was a blip of flashing lights. Like, it looked mm, like a plane yes. far in the distance. I had, like, this crappy Simmons telescope. Run my 8-year-old butt all the way back up the stairs. Grab the telescope. Set the whole thing up. By the time it's set up, still looks like the same size blip of lights. It had gotten that far mm. enough away. So, UFO, have I seen? Perhaps... Definitely. I did I did have um it now it comes out. Okay. What fine. happened, okay. Luke? So me, me and my See, this is how yeah. it goes. Yes. Okay, look, I, yeah. just, I just want to know how crazy. You gotta cover it over this frosting of like everything's cool, UFOs okay. aren't real. Yeah. yeah. Me and my friend yeah. hanging out outside his parents' house, we're having a fire, right? And all of a sudden we realize all the street lights are out. And I don't know why I'm saying that voice, this really happened. <laughs> um, all the street lights are out and then we're but the sky was really bright. We looked over and the horizon was like white blue like a light was coming from the horizon and it was like dancing all over the place uh you realize where we live that's called the northern lights no it was not the northern lights it was way too bright <laughs> it was almost almost as bright as the sun mm-hmm. so we jumped in my vehicle and tried to get as close as we could but it was down in um 
like an area that was a mine and it's like it's really hard to get to showed up there there's a cop blocking it off we're not allowed to get any closer um but this dude had come back he'd gotten through are you sure he was a cop yes did he seem robotic at all was it a tulpa it was a tulpa. It could have been a man in black. Yes. Yeah. Well, I guess I had the experience with the tulpas. Uh, that, <laughs> um, but anyway, it, so that was about as close as I'd ever gotten. And we just we had learned. I need to get out my move on investigators. No, no. Manual. We, we had learned. We had learned later on. It was a high voltage cable that had broken and was arcing on itself. Oh. And it was. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's cooler, man. That's Typical what, story. That's what knocked the lights out, and it was a, it was a like high voltage enough for it to like light up the night sky. That's wait a second, cool, wait, 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 so we're telling UFO stories and you tell a story about how you thought you saw a light and it was a high voltage line up? Well, that's what they Our did. listeners were that's listening to all that waiting for your UFO story. No, that was the story. Yeah. They never saw, you never saw no, the line. No, I wasn't allowed to get close enough. Yeah, it so was So it might not be a line, it was a crashed UFO in a mine. Right. Pit. And then this guy held his pen up in front of your face with a bright light on it. It wasn't a pen. It was not a pen, my friend. Yeah, yeah. I want to drink bleach. Do you have bleach? <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, uh, aside from being a Washington disclosure, don't worry, uh, you know, months from now, I'll, I'll be justified. Um, I have been reading some real schlock. Summer's coming up, uh, so I have sidelines, and by Andrew J. Offit, I, I wrote, or, I read King Dragon. <laughs> so, um, any, any person who's a fan of, like, I don't know what they're calling it, like, Planet and Sandal, uh, uh books? Garbage? Garbage. <laughs> Garbage. I'm looking at the cover Garbage? of this, and it has a dragon flying into a naked woman. Yeah, it's called King Dragon. It's great. <laughs> yeah, um, those covers are great, huh? Basically, the story is about like a thousand years. and I don't know if it's in the future, but a spaceship goes to investigate a planet that they know has been populated for terraforming. Um, and they find out that a thousand years ago, um, actually, a bunch of like... Explorers from the Arab Emirates, they never are specific about it, but Middle Eastern um, explorers showed up and basically through genetic manipulation, the uh, captain of the ship kind of either killed everybody, um, repopulated the planet, but made it his own like twisted version of Eden with like dinosaurs in it and everything else. It's very like Edgar Rice Burroughs, The Lost World, all of that kind of stuff. It's... It's on a par with Conan and all those kind of very visceral-style books that I like. Not deep plots, but interesting. Um, I, I actually kind of liked, as schlocky as King Dragon looks by the cover, I actually thought it was a pretty good read. Um, I, I enjoyed it immensely. How many spicy potatoes would you give it? <laughs> I'd give it four and a half lying in a hammock on that. a hot summer day. I'll take Spicy that. potatoes. That's that's what it should be. Also, uh, I punch you in the neck. <laughs> I, find my, I find my potatoes get a little spicy when I'm lying in the neck. Turn it over to our feedback on Facebook. Uh, we've gotten some feedback over there. So, um... I posted a picture um, about about some books that I'd gotten uh, from when I was a kid. I was into dinosaurs, the Dinosaur World stuff. It's Ray Bradbury Presents, so it's not written by him, but an author named Stephen Lee. He's got six books out that are in like this kind of time travel dinosaur kind of thing. They're they're okay. I'm not gonna say I recommend them. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't read them yet. I remember loving them at twelve. I don't know just, how they're gonna hold just up. Just want to keep that. So I want, I want to, yeah. I want to throw that out there that before you run out and and grab these books, I, I haven't read them yet. Maybe next show I'll I'll, I'll let you know if it's great. Um, but we had some uh, some feedback on Facebook. First of all, I posted a picture of a bunch of Dune ripoff books on a bookshelf with different titles on them. Frank on Facebook says uh, to give a longtime sci-fi fan a shudder. 
just add the words of gore to any book title. So, Dune of Gore. Author John Norman uh, has a series called Gore, and it's again kind of one of these counter-Earth kind of settings, is what it says on Wikipedia. Gotcha. Um, yeah, but uh, I have not read any gore. Uh, I constantly come across it, but because I'm a stupid completionist, the books are not cheap. I just want to read what's written in the on the Gore Wikipedia page here. Um, <laughs> according to the Encyclopedia of Science Fiction... Oh, don't read that part because we don't know. Norman's sexual philosophy is wildly detested, but the books have inspired a Gorean subculture. Yeah, it says, basically, uh, the series is known for its repeated depiction of sexual fantasies involving men abducting and physically and sexually brutalizing women who grow to enjoy their submissive state. Jeez. <laughs> I mean, that's like half the stuff on uh, but I don't know what that <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, I, I, I would like to read some core to find out if that necessarily is true, because sometimes the same kind of ideas will be brandished at a lot of kind of the sword and sorcery stuff uh, from the 30s and 40s and 50s, is that it is definitely a little bit more misogynistic in some ways. Why can't she swing a sword? Yeah, why can't she swing a sword? You know, And it's kind of funny, because the one I just referenced, King Dragon, as kind of late 70s, 79, I feel like it took more of a feminist approach to it where um, your main protagonist finds out three quarters of the way through the book that he hasn't done one thing in the book that's right and that really be, the, because oh God, of the spoilers the woman that is there has helped him through the whole planet mm. but yeah which isn't a bad thing it's not a bad thing at all it's uh, there is always a level of misogyny with a lot of this kind of sword and sorcery stuff. It's it's kind of wish fulfillment or fantasy, I think, a lot of times for a large segment of the male population um, at the time that was reading them. But someday I'd like to give Gore a spin, see what's going on. Just reading like, Gore, sitting in the basement. Mom! Is dinner ready yet? Oh, I'm pretty sure this was a book that, yeah, you'd put away uh, if Mom came you bring down. Bring me lasagna, Mom! <laughs> What's my Mountain Dew? Bob, wasn't that you at the story about reading the book in the back of the car? Wait, what you reading, Bobby? Yeah. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Uh, yeah. I, I said that was Zan. Oh, Zan. Zan, that's what it was. What do you mean? Nothing. Nothing, yeah. don't look. Yeah, that's, yeah, because you were saying the same thing. That's what I was thinking of. I will say my first one was Spell for Chameleon. Okay, that, okay. Uh, when they were sowing wild oats? The sowing wild, yeah, community. the whole sowing wild oats thing, the whole, like, mermaids giving them a rub and tug and everything else. It got pretty, it got, uh, it got pretty uh, steamy with the old uh, illusionist. Yes. You know, mm. you know my, I, so now bring it up, uh, my, my first one was reading Jack White's The Sky Stone. And it's a novel about King Arthur, and I remember reading it, and this is like, I was up in bed reading it, I had never, I mean, I went from like... And then you were, and then you were up in bed reading it. No, no, <laughs> it's not that kind of passage. It's yeah. like, it was like I'd read Lamorte and Arthur, and I'm like, hey, what's more Arthur stuff? And I picked up the Sky Stone by Jack White, and there's a scene in there, um, and it's vivid in my mind. A guy, I think it's the main protagonist, is like hammering out a sword in his, in his shop, and this woman who's trying to come on to him goes into a little like outhouse type of building across within eyesight of him and very vividly it describes how she pulls her dress to the side and lets out a ropey braid of yellow urine upon the, upon the floor. <laughs> Read it to me sometimes. And I was like, the words ropey braid of yellow I, urine. As you were going through that sentence, each word, like until like... You said urine. I had no idea what you were talking about. I, I, I like. When he said, when he said rope, you said ropey. I'm like, is, well, it, is she like Rapunzel down there? Pull, uh, pulls I her could, dress to the side, and I'm like, okay. It's a crying game. That's what I. <laughs> yeah. 
And, and he said, let's out. I'm like, is she going to fart? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A ropey braid. Is it hair? Yeah. I remember just laying there going like, oh my god, if my parents find this book. Um, but yeah, that was my first experience with that. I don't. I just. I, I didn't, Spicy I didn't, literature. I, I didn't do a lot of. I didn't do a lot of reading back when I was younger. But I, the closest thing I'd say I have was uh, I had God of War, and there's boobs in the beginning of that game. <laughs> 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 just on a menu screen for hours. No, no, it's the opening <laughs> cinematic. Oh, and and I was in an orgy. <laughs> I have you played it? What? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I will also jump in here too. <laughs> I will will also jump here in here too and say the other one that pops into my mind here right away is Todd McFarlane's Mary J- it's Todd McFarlane's depictions of Mary Jane in the, Sp- oh, the 90s Spider-Man yeah, comics. Yeah, he's pretty extreme. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing better than envisioning you two jacking off the Spider-Man <laughs> <laughs> <in> comics. <laughs> Mary Jane was hot. Uh, I agree. <coughs> okay, um, so uh, start contributing to our Patreon to hear. Um, on Facebook, Jonathan, I put up a post about comparisons between Star Wars and Dune, and he says, so who wins in a fight? Paul or Anakin at the height of their powers? Who wins? Paul. I asked, would Paul's personal shield be able to deflect lightsabers? Because that's that needs to be known. Who do you think? And he said at the height of their powers. He's a god. At the height of their... He's not a god. I don't think do he's a god. Mean? I don't think he's a god. He's a god. He's a f- false god. He's not a god. god. He's not... Vader was a god. Vader was a god. Because I, I, I think he, the spice has allowed him to become godlike, but he's not god. Mm. Well, the same argument how much, made for the force. How much... Oh, good. He doesn't really have god, godlike god, powers. This is the nerdiest thing I've ever said in my life. Um... How many followers does Paul have? The Billions. planet, the planet Arrakis, but then it goes One beyond that. Billions. Right? Billions. Okay, maybe. I mean, that'd be enough to go up against the Empire. Yeah, yeah. But what are their ships? I mean, in a one-on-one, in a one-on-one, I give it to Vader. I think we should go one-on-one. Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter. We're talking it about Luke. Matter. What are uh, we talking about? Anakin. 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 Oh, it doesn't Anakin. matter what kind of shield you have. You can just choke you through it. Yeah, I feel like the ability to manipulate the Force. God, it sounds like college. But Paul Atreides, you have no idea. Paul Atreides would be able to know he was about to use the horse joke. What powers does Paul have, though? All he can do is lead people he's, and do, have that dumb sound weapon. He's yeah, a sound a, weapon's pretty he's, badass. He's got blue eyes. <laughs> like I don't even know if this he, is a close he, fight. He, like Anakin one, would clean up with this guy. He's one hell of an orthopter pilot. I'll tell you that one. <laughs> He'll fly right over you. He can ride a sandworm. Yeah. Yes, but when I first yeah. met your, when 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 we <laughs> first met Anakin, he was already a great pilot. I feel like if Paul Atreides rode up to Anakin on his sandworm, he'd keep peeling that mouth back like four peels of a banana. Just wave his hands and blah, turn the whole thing. Inside I think up. riding a worm is more impressive than controlling things with your mind. And is it Vader? Do you? I is don't it, believe you. Is it Vader really? You ever written a worm? I don't think so. Excuse me. Aren't the Jedi really using a different version of the voice? Yes. When they tell, when they give the commands, that's true. The droids are looking for, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it, I don't ever get the feeling in these books that the voice is—it's powerful, but it's not on a par with force powers. My brother is coming to kill you. <laughs> I feel it's a far more muted, more spiritual, introspective look at power and godhead, but not not on a par with the Force. Mm. So you're going with Anakin? I'm going with Anakin. And I'm not a fan of Anakin, although I like Darth Vader. I think the little sister could take them both. 
She's creepy as hell. I see many things. That's true. Well, thank you, Jonathan, for that. uh, Yeah, for making me say weird stuff on the internet. This is here forever. That is true. But hey, if you want uh, questions, comments, thoughts like that, uh, talked about on Tavern Talk, respond to one of our posts. Just put out weird stuff like that. We'll talk about it. For sure. For sure. Well, I tell you what, let's actually get into this thing. We got books two and hopefully book three that we're going to get through today. So we got, we we're got going a, it all. We got a lot of stuff to talk about as we go here. Danny, I was the old guy. I'm going to get this round, but everybody has to do this one blindfolded. Oh, not again, <laughs> sweetheart. Yeah, come here. No, leave the robe off. Come here. You know Tashi Station? I'm a leaf on the wind. I'm a freaking fight from there. I'm a leaf. Waiting around for that Skywalker kid to come pick up the power convoyers. We got downloads in 20 systems. I pull up a chair, friend. So here we are. Episode 36, Dune Part 2, Books 2 and 3. Hmm. I'm ready. Uh, Are you? Oh yeah. So what the what the heck just happened? Uh, some boat, mm, sand, spice. Now Paul and his mother crashed out in the Iraqi desert. Mm. They're having to survive. Uh, luckily, Paul has knowledge that he shouldn't have. He's Paul a freaking ex- he's a freaking extraordinary. Natural. He's yeah. He's a he's supernatural. Not supernatural, but he's a, a natural Paul, at this. Paul has gone through spice puberty very quickly. Oof. <laughs> yes, this is true. Um, and so, basically, right, they set up a tent, uh, they weather out a sandstorm, right? Takes his first drink of recycled wa- water off his still suit and everything else, and has to push his way out of the... That's sweat and pee. <laughs> push his way out of the, uh, sphincter, sphincter. <laughs> the tent sphincter. Alright, so we start off book two, Paul and his mom are in the tent, Paul's having dreams of jihad and dreams of war, and it's a holy war led by him and his fanatics. Same? Right? And it freaks him out a little bit. Right, so this uh, this to me is is uh, going off of Campbell's uh, kind of archetypes. Uh, there's, a, there's a period where he talks about where your hero often will go through some form of death or to enter a womb of some sort to have a rebirth. And this, to me, is the transition point. We've had Paul being the leader, or not the leader, but a child of prestige and wealth, and him and his Roman family going to the barbarians and all of this. And now this is his point of hopelessness where he enters the womb of the earth, um, you know, buried with this sand, um, and now will emerge literally through a sphincter. Yes. Um, and be rebirthed on this second part of his journey to become the Muad'Dib. And it's also the journey from known world to unknown world, like completely now. Cause right. He is immersed in the nature of the planet uh, where few people travel. This is right? like Celtic mythology where you enter like the rock cairn, right? You go into this, the underworld yes. and you're met by the fairy or whatever. And, and they are, it, it is this new world, this unexplored world. Yep. Jesus entering the desert for his trials. For sure, yeah. Uh, I, I do think why Dune is so incredibly popular, especially amongst the learned, <laughs> is that mm-hmm. yeah, the, 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 so many tropes are being used and funneled 
into this book that it, it does make it uh, a book that resonates, I think, pretty well with people on, on kind of a um, subconscious level. If you can get through all of the details it's, it's of the a, book. She's a hefty one, lad. She's a hefty one. <laughs> it is like eating oatmeal. <laughs> I mean, uh, it is a brilliant book that is as good for you as high fiber and oatmeal. It's true. Thick. Yeah. yeah, it is thick. It is thick. You'll be satisfied at the end, but you might not have it again for a while. <laughs> so the idea of the jihad frightens Paul. They're waiting for Duncan Idaho to come back and quote unquote save them. And we go through this time period where, you know, Paul and his mom are talking and then they're talking and... Then they're talking. Yeah. Then they're talking again, as we as we're reading about them sitting in a tent. Because talking. It's, and they're in the womb, and it's just her mother, the mother talking to the son in the womb. Uh, <laughs> and um, um, but there's a worry there because we something is revealed um, that mom is a Harkonnen. Yes. Which we did. Did we talk about on the last podcast? We we broached it. We broached the subject. Yeah. We, we talked about it. her inbred features in the very end of. Yeah, oh yes, I remember this because I thought, what a weird way to describe your mother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but as soon as they get out of the sphincter, there are ornithopters above them, right? Something boxes. Boxes. But we jump from here right to Baron Harkonnen, new guard captain Nefud, comes in to give a report that Paul and Jessica were seen heading into an intense sandstorm and are certainly dead. Right. Where are the bodies? Well, they were in a sandstorm, sir. They're dead. Right. <laughs> so before that... <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> what I miss? The Thopters came in, and it was Duncan Idaho and Leah Kynes. Right, right. To go pick them up to get them to the, one of the special facilities out there right. that Duke was looking for earlier. And that's where Paul hatches the plan to kind of take the Emperor down. Mm. And what, is the, what are the details of this plan? Um, No, it it was more like he wants to, he'll force them, he'll squeeze Arrakis and stop the spice flow. Right. And then all eyes will kind of go on uh, Dune, and then they will um, be forced to reckon with them. And so then he'll, I think, try to marry Erlon in the end or something to... Right. You know, force them, disthrowing them or something. I can't remember. That comes, in, that comes into the end of planning, but at the end of book three. Right. Cause he, but we so, begin the plan now. Somewhat, in some ways, I would love to have... If this book were written in the late 70s, I would say, okay, at the end of the whole OPEC and oil crisis of the 70s, this is, again, a a kind of a Middle Eastern flair on... on Science fiction, and that we are talking about how at that point the the world, America especially, learned how dependent it was on the Middle East and its oil, and that Arrakis becomes an analog for the Middle East, and that he who controls the oil controls the universe or controls the world. Um, that hadn't really happened yet, mm-hmm. to my knowledge. So no. This is a little foresight, maybe, uh, and I think that's another thing that makes this book uh, brilliant in some ways. Is in other time periods, uh, it's proved to be, I wouldn't say prophetic, but able to be applied right. um, to things that, that go on. Yeah, so part of the plan was for Paul to align himself with the Fremen, mm. and then he figured out that Leah Kynes was the leader of the Fremen right. during this, when they're in their little observation room. <laughs> right. mm. But then the Sardaukar attacked the facility, poor Duncan, mm. dies. 
Oh, Duncan, Idaho. Protecting his... Oh. If I didn't know what happened in Messiah, I'd be real broke up about right. this. It's um, not him. It's still not him. Okay. <laughs> okay, we'll fight that so, out on Deeper Delta. Uh, with, the, with the death of Duncan, um, Paul experiences another mentor in his life uh, exiting. And this led me to create uh, a brief exercise I'd like to call Daddy or Duncan. Uh, <laughs> okay, so let's all play Daddy and Duncan. Play Daddy or Duncan. Duncan. We're going to go around the table. I'm going to read a quote. You're going to tell me, is it Daddy or is it Duncan? Quote number one. Who's going? Are we all? Oh, we'll just go around after okay. I read it. Give us a tune, Gurney. I'm going with Duncan. I'm going with Daddy. 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 It's Daddy. Oh, ah. I thought it was during the training yeah. scene. Yeah. Ah. Mm. Oh, That's yeah. a lucky guess on my part. I don't know. DT is trying to cheat over here. <laughs> Quote number two. <laughs> Quote number two. Milky white and glowing with a light of its own like. You know, I'm just going to hold oh, to Idaho because i got to be right at some time. Idaho. Duncan. Daddy. Daddy. It's Duncan. Oh. Yeah. Yes. Boom. Mmm. Don't worry, it's getting better. Here's a short one. Too much spice beer. <laughs> Dun- That's Duncan. Duncan. <laughs> yeah, Dumbo go Duncan. That is Duncan. Yeah, right. Three left. <clears throat> and why shouldn't we unsheath this blade? <laughs> daddy or Duncan? Daddy. That's I'm Daddy. Daddy. <laughs> daddy. Duncan. It's Daddy. Yeah. Daddy. <laughs> At least he asked before he and she. <laughs> That's the key. Consent. I mean, familial consent. Oof. Two left, folks. Quote: I don't like an unanswered question of this importance. Daddy. Daddy. Yeah, daddy. It's because it was authoritative. Yeah. Tis yeah, daddy. We read it. Tis. Tis daddy. And lastly, you have no body shield. Do you wish mine? Duncan. Yeah, that's Duncan. Duncan. Luke? Oh, I, I'm just going to go with whatever they say. It is Duncan. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> what a great game. That was great. Yeah, thanks that for playing. That actually was a lot of fun. Daddy See, when, when you pitched this to me earlier, I thought it was going to be either quotes from Duncan or quotes from your dad. You don't want to hear what my father has to say. <laughs> <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard snippets, <laughs> yeah. and I'm interested. That's We'd like true. to keep him out of jail uh, <laughs> toward the end of his life. So. Great game. Great game. Thanks. Nice job, guys. Uh, I got some more coming up soon, so don't <laughs> Don't go away. Don't touch that dial up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Idaho dies after the Sardaukar attack. Right. And, and everybody's then, amazed at this point to see that the Sardaukar are there, because the Sardaukar, remember, are the emperor's like elite troops. Right. And we talked yeah. about that in the last episode. Beekeepers! Wait, wait, the beekeepers are here! <laughs> they're not supposed to Run. be They're not supposed to be here. They're not the, the emperor is not supposed to be supporting one side of this fam- of this feud. I will throw out uh, if you have not watched the movie or read the book, read the book first because Sardaukars will forever just be guys in flame retardant suits if you watch that movie first. True. Got to read it cuz Sardaukars are cool. Yeah, they're ripped, sweaty prisoners. Yeah, capable of killing you in a moment's notice. Yeah, brainwashed prisoners. Yes, sounds great. Yeah. It's just a horde of Jeffrey Dahmers <laughs> coming <laughs> at you. OJ. OJ. Jeez. Yeah, so they try to stall him, and then Paul and Jessica escape in a sweet ornithopter into yeah. a sandstorm. Right. And he has to ride the tiger by the tail. <laughs> The hell? <laughs> Riding the tiger by the tail. He's got the tiger by the tail. He's sure got to ride the storm. Yeah, that works. 
Does it? Well, if you freeze the dead tiger, the tail is stiff, and then you can ride it. That's true. Um, so, but what? <laughs> nope. Nope. Continue. Go on, Bob. So, okay. right. so, and then we flash over. Meanwhile, at Baron Harkonnen. Baron Harkonnen's killing boys and. <laughs> Sorry. Why? <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, Baron Harkonnen does not believe that uh, Idaho has been killed. Right? Is that how it goes? He, he, he didn't see proof that, he, that the Jessica right. and Paul were killed. And I needed proof as well as a reader. And uh, so I, I've been, I was going on the rest of this book thinking Idaho was coming back. And he doesn't. Uh, he will in the next book. But yeah. Spoilers. Yeah. That, yeah that was, hey, hey, no, no well, he comes back in a different form. Yeah, hey, no body, no crime. That's what I always say. Right. It's actually true. Um, but the Baron believes now that all the Atreides are dead and sees a clear line on a Harkonnen being Emperor. Not himself. Mm. But he thinks Fade Ralph. And he, he doesn't think that he has any kids of his own. Jessica is his kid. So but he doesn't uh, think that he has any kids of his own, so he's setting up his nephews to take over. Right, right. Talk to uh, talk to movie boy here. Uh, are we talking uh, floaty chubby man or yes. eyebrow guy? Yeah. Floaty chubby, floaty chubby, chubby, chubby man. man. Yeah. Mm. But he's talking about Fade. Fade. Who is Sting's character? Sting. Is this where we have the weird attempted assassination scene? Oh, don't ask me. Harkonnen. I think that's in book three. Oh, okay. Yeah. Keep leading us through one of you two. <laughs> also, just a side note, like uh, Howitt, the Mintat, yeah. he escapes. Right. He's joining like a Fremen kind of enclave, and yeah. that's when he starts seeing their fighting prowess. They'll just go take an ornithopter, and then some Sardaukar landed, and uh, he flew the he flew the thopter right into the uh, ho- troop hauler. Yeah, I can't the remember what they call it. Troop hauler takes it out. Yeah, and one Fremen, one for five hundred. Good yeah. trade. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good trade. What do you guys think about this? Because um, we find out the Fremen, boy, it's hard to divorce yourself from where we are at now in today's society. But you do have a society um, who is closer to the land, who is being put upon by an imperial power or a, a larger construct, and talks about jihad and is willing to sacrifice people for their cause by... Mm-hmm. But you don't sacrifice their parts because every you gotta you always gotta take the water out of the you gotta squeeze the water out of the dead. I mean, body. what kind of what what do you guys think? Uh, what what for a modern audience? Um, uh, anything that uses jihad is hard for me. Too. Super hard. Yeah. And then you see, and what what is supposed to happen is during this book is you're supposed to start siding with the fremen, right? Who are seen mm. as freedom fighters. Because they're the noble savage. They're the noble savage. Um, but it is it was really hard for me at times to divorce kind of modern ideas of, you know, um, die, you know, uh, terrorism mm. and, and dying for one's cause or, or, you know, it was really tough. In a lot of places, I was seeing this as being, um, yeah, yeah, jihadist extremism. Yeah, very, yeah, it's a little extreme for our, our modern sensibilities. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah it's, it's a little close to home. You uh, know what, maybe you just need a little spice, you know? <laughs> a little maybe. spice opens the mind up. For sure, for sure. Um, yeah, and uh, some of that part was uh, how it he's amazed at uh, what the level of troops that they Highland in Space Guild. Yeah, apparently very expensive. 
to do this. So he knows yeah, that they are the like, focal point of some sort of attention. Yeah, ten yeah. legions of Sardaukar, which costs, what they say, 50 years of the planets of a yearly planet income. Mm -hmm. So you have to 50 years to get that money back. Right, so That's how much they invest some, in. Something is going on. That's how much they hate the Duke. <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> no price too high for the Duke's head. That's true. But then, of course, the Sardaukar come mm -hmm. and they capture poor Howlett. Aww. And that brings me into the best movie scene where I think Howitt has to milk the cat to get the poison out of his system. <laughs> what is something like that, that wasn't it? Is it? The most <laughs> hey, 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 hey. So, so we're going to duct tape this rat to the cat, right? Hey, you got to milk it. Gold. Gold. It was pretty good. And whoever came, I don't. There was not that part in the book. No, no. It was just, hey, we're gonna point, we're gonna poison him with slow poison. We're gonna slowly give him the antidote so that yeah. eventually he doesn't know. And then when we get tired of him, we just take away the antidote and he'll die. Yeah, right. And then we get to the scene in the movie, like you said, where there's a cat, there's a rat duct taped to a cat, and you got to do weird milking stuff. To yeah, the it's cat. inside of the frame of a 3D printer. Like yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> those animals look so uncomfortable. <laughs> It was an uncomfortable scene. I Sting just looks like he could be anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> Sting really has the uh, I am way too famous for this shit look yeah. on his face. But it did it did grab me in kind of a way that like at this point, I think you're about two hours into the movie. I don't actually remember how long the movie is, but I felt like Depends I, on the version you're watching. Yeah, I, whatever was on Amazon. Uh, <laughs> um so, you know, I'm kind of zoning out a little bit here, and then that pops up. Did that wait, uh, wait, break what? you back in? Yeah, I'm like, okay, let's, let's see where this goes. <laughs> <laughs> then what, I think Gurney, he went off somewhere, and I think Gurney, he... Gurney's now, Gurney's now with the smugglers. With the smugglers. He banded with them to try to eventually yeah, get he, back at him. Correct. All right, so this is a slow build. We got uh, Paul at his lowest point. Harkonnen's at their most powerful. He starts um, rebuilding that power through the Fremen and his prescient um, visions, right? And then right. you've got the peripheral characters kind of going out to regroup. And now we're going to lead back up in a, in a coital rhythm to the uh, overthrow of the Emperor, right? right. So we but are now on our way back up this slope. But in some ways, during this time, then we have also then Paul... You know, we have the long tail of Paul be kind of flipping and becoming part of the Fremen society and right. the culture. Mm -hmm. You know, which is, to me, this is very Lawrence of Arabia. Like, this feels like Lawrence of Arabia and this idea of a, a person from another culture, a Western culture. And in a lot of ways, I do think Iraqi culture feels westernized. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have kind of, like you said, the noble savage idea from the time. Well, yeah, it's Lawrence of Arabia, Last of the Mohicans. Right. What, you know, the, it's, it's romanticism essentially, at its height. I don't think you can do this, um, especially at this time period that the book was written, without it's the white guy becoming whatever native culture it is. Yes, and uh, uh, Herbert does not shy away from saying that that's exactly what he was doing. He researched a lot of native uh, communities and tribes. He was himself very much an environmentalist, and so this kind of back to nature, you know, um, all of these, a lot of these guys were into this at the time, right? You're reading Campbell, uh, you got George Lucas, the same thing, where he's doing it with Ewoks mm -hmm. by the Return of the Jedi, but really a lot of those ideas came out of him doing uh, kind of prelim work, I believe it was, on um, Apocalypse Now. And so he, you know, you have a lot of these characters, these 
counterculture uh, people who were against the Vietnam War and kind of seeing America's role in it as being this more hedonistic, overbearing Western culture. And there's this low technology but noble people that need to be sided with. So there's a lot of this that goes on in sci-fi at the time. And I think just we're seeing that this is one of the best examples. Frank Herbert. Is right. I would argue, too, that the the fact that the Atreides use language and then I think I talked to you about this, Bob, the weaponized use of language in the book kind of mimics the importance of language and communication in that time period in our world, right? Right. Like, uh, you have las guns and you've, and you've got uh, other, like, atomics, but ultimately... Bene Gesserits can control people with their words, and so can Paul. Right. So, and he can shoot cool spinning robots in a training room while men watch him <laughs> right. with his voice, uh, but which I've tried to do a couple times. In so. some ways, is this like a literal interpretation of the pen is mightier than yes. the sword? The power of the word. The power of the word. Watch me uh, beat up your Roombas. Yes. But I do think that speaks to the fact that I, I will not laud Frank Herbert for his ability to write action. No, uh, I don't think he's very good at writing action. He's great at writing political intrigue. I right. think it at times, for me personally, can become overbearing uh, and almost stray into boring uh, in this book. Um, but this is not an action-filled romp. No, uh, it's the same at the movie then, right? I mean, really, think about it. Yeah. Right, right. Blah. Yeah, the movie is not either, which is, again, why I think this needs to be more of a television series. I don't know if this will ever translate into a Hollywood movie. They're saying this is going to be a two-parter that's coming up. But I think it's a difficult translation because when you pitch it to a studio, they're seeing worms. They're seeing, you know, it's related to other action movies in the sci-fi genre. you got to have something injected into it to make it. you got to have those moments of excitement. Yeah. Because whereas what they're talking about is interesting... Three hours of it in that movie was torture. Right. I mean, you know, could you make the worms as cool as the dragons? Right. Well, to me, I think you could. I mean, I, I don't. I, I I think think you could. I think you, Ted. Did you say you hated Tremors? Yes. Yeah, I, I, I love don't like Kevin I Bacon. Love I love <laughs> Sorry. How can you not like Kevin Bacon? He's a national man. treasure. Uh, Adrian Paul's really good too. Yeah, let's go back there. <laughs> I'm gonna fight you. I'm gonna right puke on myself <laughs> and my boathouse. <laughs> <laughs> he only lived in the boathouse for a while. Most of the time, he was in that museum. I'm a confused okay, puppy in Canada. Just <laughs> Adrian Paul. Look at my dog face. Oh. <laughs> I'm thousands of years old, but I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> Kiss me in my boathouse. Let me do my hair. So one big difference when I was I did the movie first, of Mm -hmm. course, and they had the weirding modules. Mm -hmm. The voice, you know, then I read the book and I was like, so that's just a fighting style in the book. Yes. So is that them just trying to make it more interesting? Uh, I don't know if it's about if it's 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 Lynch, right? David Lynch (laughs) trying to make it more visual to an audience to understand it. I mean, we're we're looking at a time where the special effects aren't fantastic. but the shields, at that, the shields at that point. But at that point, the special effects were better than they'd ever been. Than they'd ever been. Um, but I, I feel there's a visual aspect that he's going for there, where we need to hook up something. People need to tactically see what they're doing with their voices. Nowadays, I think modern audiences, you could get away with it just being a style that would, through some sort of force push through the air mm. or something, would become. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, it feels like a bunch of people with 
voice modulators, uh, COPD patients, breathing at you, and they're talking. We're coming to get you. <laughs> but uh, really, let's talk about this. If Say we're execs in a movie studio. In the written word, it's cool that their voices have this power. Right. How stupid does this look on the screen? It looks pretty dumb. Yeah. I think, you, like you said, the modern days, you could do a lot with just the voice yeah. sound to make it pretty cool. I just look at Skyrim. Yeah. Well, but how how would they do it? How would they do this? A bunch of a bunch of Fremen lined up on a dune slope. Are they all just going to be yelling? Would the impulse be to do some sort of hand gesture? Because all of them just standing around yelling, doing. It's the it's the it's the Obi Wan scream from uh, New Hope, Todd. which is which is why Skyrim all the way. Which is why Bob, you can't even yeah. finalize on Bob, that scream. I, I know you just bought Skyrim for your Xbox 360 for two dollars from a rummage. So once once you start playing that, and you get into the dragon thooms. Yes, the thooms. Yes, you will. Yeah, it's uh, where they just kind of like say something powerfully, but then like. Something happens, but do they physically. do something with their physical body as well? It's first person. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, they make uh, like they probably. I think they just make some kind of motion, right? It. Like I but, feel like the directing impulse would be you'd have to have people doing some sort of motion with their body, and then you drop the bass on their voice. But again, with Sky, Skyrim itself is Nordic uh, in its history, and they yes. they also believed in the power of language For sure. and these like incantations and things that people would say. So mm-hmm. that's a good reference, I think. The idea that uh, you can control stuff, it's just like the force, mm-hmm. or, you know, um, the idea that you can control things somehow with your with your thoughts or your, your words. I agree. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, Baron Harkonnen believes that Jessica and Paul are, or he doesn't really believe it, but his cards keep telling him that Jessica and Paul are dead. Right. He appoints his nephew, uh, Rabin. Rabon. 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 Yes, he appoints Raban to oversee (laughs) Arrakis. And so Raban arrives, takes control of Arrakis. The Baron orders him to like do all these things to keep squeezing the people. He's trying to set up he's trying to actually set up his other nephew. Like the savior plan is to come in since Raban was such a bad dude. Right. And so we keep moving on from there. Paul and Jessica are, are you know, trying to survive. Uh, he's coming of age. He's trying to figure out how his wiener and all that. He hangs so, up. He, I'm so <laughs> angsty. <laughs> he immediately runs into a challenge when he joins the Fremen, right? Who's the guy who challenges him to a duel? Jameis. Jameis! Jarvis, got it. Yeah, so they, well, when they come out of the storm, they crash. Yeah. Then that's when they meet up with Stilgar mm-hmm. and his siege yeah. of their Roman. And that's when they have that little fight scene or he punches Jameis in the throat or something and he gets offended. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> offended by uh right. how dare you punch him <laughs> <laughs> uh, anywhere else. And that's when Jessica takes on Stillguard yeah. and she subdues him with yeah. the weirding way. <laughs> which is the Benny Jesuit Bindu Pondu whatever kung fu that they have. Yeah. Bendu so actually I haven't even I looked at a girl like that once. Shoved a snow globe up inside you. You couldn't move for a couple days. <laughs> Watch your own bobber, man. You know what means in her. You know. <laughs> you know it's getting cut. So, <laughs> we have it. We 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 have we do have a couple of very interesting moments too when we're with this new set of fremen, and this new set of fremen fa- finds Paul and Jessica. And Jessica recognizes some things from her Bene Gesserit teachings about the religion that was implanted here thousands of years ago in the Fremen. And so she starts, like, 
thinking she can get them on her side and thinking she's she's somebody of great power if she starts using these prophetic phrases and stuff. Mm -hmm. And she does it correctly. We get a nice little snapshot in her head of, okay, how do I do this? How do I convince them that I'm this? Mm, yes, you put, you put the salad fork next to the butter knife. You are clearly... Well, yeah, actually, <laughs> I, I, it is. And actually, I think this is all... I think the whole, like, Benny Gesserit imp implementation is, a, is Herbert taking a shot at organized religion, of course. Mm. Mm -hmm. On how really, on how Herbert's saying this is all made up stuff that people are believing, and see see how easy it is for people in my fake little story to manipulate other people by fakely using their religion mm -hmm. and to capitalize on timing sometimes yes. and other you know, yeah yeah well and they, they'll even drop stories the mythology you know yeah they are definitely manipulative in that way which then begs the question though by the end of this book going all the way to the end uh, has what are we to take at the end of this? It, did they create their own god? Um, mm -hmm. Don't we as always, don't we as human beings always create our own god? But I mean, in a, re, a real sense, did Paul? They were manipulating everything. They're using this as a power system to try to gain power. They know, I believe, that for the most part, this is all nonsense, right? Like they're they're planting myths. The Benny Gesserit. The Benny Gesserit. Regular people don't. But the Benny Gesserit kind of then like the creates at the end God, right? Like they have manifested God. If you want to believe that Paul. Is God well, and that that there's so much Jesus imagery with Paul here uh, going throughout the the everything. We're in the middle of the tests in the desert mm -hmm. of Jesus being alone in the desert right now. Right. Um, he's gaining his apostles. He's we were you know he's Herbert's mixing all that in here, and I think it, I think it's a very interesting idea with the fact of like you said, Bob. Uh, do do we do we create our own God? Right. You know, I, and it, it's that full circle of, you know, looking at whatever religion you're looking at. Most of them tend, you know, man was made in God's image, and now we're creating God in our image. So who, how, how does that circle actually work? Right. But at the same time, I do believe he's mixing in this idea of the sacred feminine, because we're going to find out that even though Paul becomes a god and, and is the hero of this story, the real power will end up residing in his sister. Yeah, as a, she has her own temple, people come to worship her. Right. Um, well, and it's it's the it it, it really is too. Um, you know, Paul, is Paul the the one who's going to bring balance to the Fremen? <laughs> yeah. No, no, is he going universe. to bring balance to Arrakis? Right. That's where we're going to the sacred right. the sacred feminine thing. Right. That we're talking that, about. Because he is a balance of male and female as well. We've been told. Right, you but know, he doesn't bring a balance because inherently, yeah. like, uh, it just swings from one crazy bent side to the other, which you saw with in real life, of course. Like, I think you might be bringing in stuff from Dune Messiah, though, because I think that was why so many fans didn't like Dune Messiah, is that Frank Herbert deconstructs his own mythos. Kind of, book. but it's even referenced in the first book of Dune what the ramifications are going to be if he follows through with this entire uh, prescient... True visions that he has so even while he's questioning whether or not he should become this messiah he has already seen uh the fallout or the damage that does occur i think you know if that happens so right i think that it's just we, not stated as much we'll get to deeper delves yeah. with uh, dune messiah but i i do think that if people have problems with that book a lot of the time besides it's boring um <laughs> is, yeah. is that is that um <laughs> <laughs> this is a hero's tale and so the first time you read through this book, if you survived it, 
um, Paul is your hero and has become yeah. the Messiah. Right. It's like coming back with Empire Strikes Back, and then all of a sudden Luke sucks. And then you're like, why? Why is he so lame? Uh, <laughs> now you're now you're, you're riding Empire Strikes Back, so, Luke. No, so, well, he was yeah. he had a weird nose, and he was in a tank of water. because he was in a car accident? I don't like it. I don't like the water tank. Mark Hamill was in an accident. I don't like I know that! I just don't like naked men in water tanks! <laughs> Meanwhile... Back, Back on, on Dude. <laughs> like Vienna sausage meat. Uh, Kleins gets caught by the Harkonnens. They interrogate him for a while, and then they throw him into the desert without a still suit to kill him. Yep. Because, again, you can't actually kill anybody because if the Emperor's truthsayer shows up, you'll be convicted. Right. But no. I don't know. I, I didn't kill him. The desert killed him. And then he has that cool vision while he's out there dying about his dad. Yeah, and then he has the Jim Morrison uh, LSD desert vision. Yeah. Yeah, but this is the death of the ecologist. Right. Which, this is a, a real turning point in the book because I feel like this, this is Herbert's statement because Herbert, I think, is a very strong environmentalist. And that there's a statement being made here of the kind of the last link of Western society if they're not going to listen to the ecologist and the person preaching for balance. And, um, you know, I guess if you don't heed the warning. Now, once you terminate him, all that's left, I guess, is the rise of the Messiah and the, the destruction of your culture yeah. and society. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. There's a lot to be maybe read into that. Yep. And so Kynes has this vision, we get the whole like idea of the melange cycle, and then he like falls on a gas bubble, or a spice <laughs> by the way, go to, Facebook, go, to Facebook, go to our Facebook page, a detailed description of the melange cycle, hmm. if you need to, need to get that. If you're looking for some, what would you call them, dweeber points? Dweeber points! I didn't um, think you were going to say points. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so Kynes is dead. We flash over back to Paul and Jessica in this group of uh, in this group they've, of Fremen. That the are, commune. Yeah, they've now joined at, the, at commune. the commune. We, we meet Stilgar, who I actually I like Stilgar, Stilgar grows on me. Stilgar's our little John here. Stilgar is our is our Peter. He is he is who you know. He eventually becomes one of the disciples. But at the beginning here, he is very much this idea of well, my boss told me to come get you, but I don't know what to do with you right now. Um, right. I don't know if I really <laughs> believe who you are. And that's when Jessica pulls the knife on him, and he's like, ooh. Chicken fight. And then there's, we get this whole like weird, and I don't know if this comes about in later books or mm. not, but did you guys feel weirdly uncomfortable with this whole flirting between Jessica and Stilgar? No, I kind of liked it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I liked it. Well, am I the only one that picked up on that? No, he no. came right out and said, hey. Yeah. He goes, we, uh, hey, baby. Yeah. Go back her. And she goes, no. oh, okay. Well, <laughs> just, just check him. Yeah, he's like, check him. You're, you're, a, you're a mighty strong woman. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just kind of bore the Messiah she, back She up. immediately recognizes traits in him that she admired in her dead husband. Well, and she plays yeah. with it. And again, we see we see Jessica here being being a very strong feminine character, especially for the seventies too. Right. She's a very strong feminine character who is kind of leading here, and she's saying the right words to get the people to kind of talking. Like, is she, you know, is this the mother son from the prophecy? Da 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 da. And she also plays with Stilgard here right. a little bit, and and really molds Stilgard in a direction by a lot of the things she she says to him. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. But I I do think this is going back to your. Um, in belief that this is Frank Herbert making commentary on Western religion. Oh, definitely. Right? And that, like, what if Mary um, helped the image of Jesus along by 
manipulating those around her and push she that along. Did and, well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> According to that theology, right. she very much did. Right, like I, you know, that's what I'm saying. So, and then we meet Chani. Chani Tatum. Chani Tatum. That's Mr. Chani. Chani. Chani, Chani, Choni. Okay, this is where I think it does start to stray a little bit into that Burroughs territory of where you're going to land on this alien planet and then you have the beautiful native that that you more are akin to. You know, you're going to you're going to be drawn to our main character is go this will be his guide and his final link into the whole universe Giggity. of the Fremen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the final link, but we see here, and like she walks in, and this is this is a great like movie in your head scene. I think this mm -hmm. portion is written extremely well. The yeah. first time Paul and Chani meet, um, is this you like we were in Paul's head, and like she takes off, and she takes off her still suit mask, and it's just like, and Paul is completely looking at it, going, "Oh my God, I've seen you in a dream." Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's not creepy. <laughs> We're meant to be Not as great in the movie, well, I gotta say. I, right. I, I had a dream like I had a dream about you, m'lady. It's always hard for me because I know Sean Young, the actress, is crazy. <laughs> so, every time I see her and Paula Trades interacting, I'm like, oh, she's crazy. Wonder, <laughs> wonder what she did to get that part. Yeah. Color her eyes blue. <laughs> <laughs> I poured sharpies into my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> just before the before the uh, casting call, she was just putting blue food coloring into her eyes nonstop. <laughs> going to bed, pouring blue food coloring. Oh my god. Um. <clears throat> okay, so another keep bringing us through, Danny. <laughs> so another, I'll get this up and bring us through. Another part of the prophecy was uh, he had to like prove himself in combat or something. So yes. that's when Jameson. I don't know. Did some sort of ritual one-on-one -on -one combat where right. they get it, where they strip down again? Yeah, no. they fight well, in the open air. Right. And this is very common. I mean, this is, was even used in uh, the Red Rising series. I mean, yeah. cue up duel, of the, duel of the fates. Would yes. you rather, uh, in one-on-one -on -one combat, be fully clothed or completely nude? Um, nude. Why? I'm freeing. Uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, not restrict restrictive movement. Uh, I know. I heard that's a really good way to win a fight. Just get naked. Yeah. Well, I mean, berserkers you, used to do this in order to intimidate their enemies. Right. They were also high. <laughs> that is what's frightening, Danny. Uh, what would you prefer? Uh, fully clothed. You got to keep the giblets in. They can <laughs> grab them. Yep. Yank I, them off. I, These I, guys are fremen. They're gonna protect the giblets. They're gonna yeah. take advantage. Your balls are gonna yes. be gone, buddy. Yeah. They're ripping your balls off. Yep. Speaks to confidence, a level of confidence that you're already in their mind then. When you enter a fight naked, they're like, this guy is naked. He knows what he's doing. They'll already oh, I got you, they'll yeah. already imbue to you power you don't have. Yes. You start taking up some like feral stances. Like a <laughs> wild animal. Yeah, that's what you do. You start snarling, making weird Rub, gesticulations yeah. with your body. Rub deer piss all over yourself. <laughs> Yeah, grunt a lot. Yeah, I mean that that'll be something. You take your clothes off. I think you. I think you should. Where'd that come from? I think you should start muttering weird incantations that seem to make no sense. Pulling out a Raceland's book and go the Ostbilak. Yeah, Ostbilak. Moi paralon ton ton Yo, yo, he's crazy. He's new and I'm out. 
So what's what's going on in Dune though, Danny? So they they get on the one on one combat. He eventually kills Jameis. Mm. Yeah. Uh, then he finds out that uh, he gets all his water. Right. Rendered from his body. Of course. The the life water. The life. Mm. Not the water life. But no, they get all his yeah. water. But he has a little bit of baggage that comes along with killing Jameis. Just like dating a woman from Northwest Minnesota. <laughs> you get the wife and the kids. <laughs> They're your responsibility now. It's true. <laughs> Okay, and what an odd thing here, too, with him getting the wife and the kids, because he's 15. So I find this, it's a very interesting duality here, too, with the fact that he gets, that Paul, you know, gets Hera and get, gets uh, Jameis' woman and, you know, is now responsible for his woman and uh, and his kids. Paul's only 15, right? Right. And yeah, so we do have this kind of, and I envision Hera, because Hera keeps talking about I'm not that old. But in tribal society like this, I'm like, okay, so Hera's like maybe 25. And his 15-year-old kid who's got a, now has a 25-year-old woman that he's responsible for. And when they, like, and when they, when he meets her and stuff, when we get to that point, and she's like, well, I, I could still, I could be your lover. And, and, uh, and, and his mom's going, oh, God, no. Well, it's not that. You can be my lover. It's that I shouldn't be yours. <laughs> um, again, very tribal, very, um, again, that noble savage idea of, okay, you killed the guy, but now because you killed the guy in this type of combat, you're now responsible for taking care of the things that he would have taken care of. Yeah, I just wanted to punch somebody. Well, it's nice. There's consequences. It's resp- You have to take responsibility. It's just not a clean kill. Yeah, well, like, he didn't want to even participate. But no, it's just true. another test by a crazy guy who doesn't like the fact that he's been accepted into the Fremen community. Right. Yeah, It's but, inside inside in their culture, though, as well. They're the same way that they <clears throat> approach water and they don't want to waste any of it right. um, and all of that. Um, everything is very efficient. The society, society must continue on. And this fight scene isn't that bad. It's okay. No, it's, it's written it's okay, okay in the book. Uh, compared to at least to the assassination scene, I think. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. Let's get another test for Paul. He passes it. Yep, and he gets his name now. Yep. And he gets the, you know, Usul. Yeah. Means the base of a pillar. Um, he's also got to choose a second name for himself, so he chooses it. He chooses what, Ted? Madib. Which is kind of like the nickname that everybody's supposed to refer to him as, and it's actually it's it's the wise mouse, right? So because he is being called the base of the pillar, is this is this a play on right? You could look at Yertle the turtle and the idea of Western societies, and that their leaders are like the turtle on top of a precarious pillar of society, right? That can be shaken. Uh, down, whereas Paul Mwadib, uh like the counterculture, is a grassroots from the but he is the base of the pillar, growing his and I shan't his, his counterculture from the ground up, from the sands up. See, I don't know if I, I don't know if it's supposed to be as deep as that, but more along the lines of a pillar will not stand in the sand without a base. Yeah, true. Therefore, this society cannot stand without that base. Mm, and he is the base of this new society that Correct. we want to bring. Yeah. Interesting. Um, we have the funeral scene. The funeral scene I thought was actually pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody has to stand up and go over to, J- uh, to Jameis's stuff and pick something else. And I was a friend of Jameis, and everybody tell- everybody gives their own little mini eulogy for Jameis. Right. And Paul's sitting there going, um, the phrase everybody starts with was, I was a friend of Jameis. And Paul's like, I killed the dude. 
<laughs> what do I do? And like, person goes up, you know, grabs his compass. I was a friend of Jameis. Once, you know, he, you know, saved me from going into a sinkhole. The next guy goes up. And between everybody, and between each guy going up, everybody keeps looking at Paul, and Paul's like, shit, what do I do? Yeah, right. And Can you guys do this when I die? Can you do I once knew Ted. I'm taking the water. <laughs> he touched me awkwardly in the hallway multiple times. But I respected him. <laughs> Just anything like that. I was, I was a friend of Ted. Yes. He caressed me on many occasions. Yes. Whoa. I will take this tie. He's a delicate man. I get the, I get the clip. I get the tie yeah. clip. That's actually Bob's tie clip. I got wow. two of them. It's One's my dad's tie clip. <laughs> what an odd... Anyways. I wear your father. But we go through the funeral scene. Paul eventually goes up there and he actually, again, Paul way ahead of his years at 15 here. Um, says something to the effect of, you know, I was a friend of Jameis. He taught me to, uh, he taught me to think about my actions, and that actions have consequences. So, because he's fifteen, does this make it a YA novel? <laughs> is this a YA novel? Is that what this is? No, is Luke was supposed to drop that oh, on I you. Forgot. I forgot. Not a YA? No, because we make that jump in book three. The time jump makes it not a YA novel. Yeah, I agree. Well, it's only about two years. Well, they do that with Red Rising. He's he's young when we start, but he's not by the end of the first book already. And they're still like, "This is YA." Yeah. And yeah, so, okay. and <laughs> so we get to the we get to the end of the funeral, and he's taken the ballast. He's taken. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's taken. <coughs> we get to the end of the funeral. Paul has taken um, Jameis's ballast. He's taken his axe. Right. Um, as in. Does um, supposed to be guitar? Yes. Um, <laughs> At which point he sits down with Chani and Chani, Chani, Johnny, Choni. Throw a big Johnny fuzz loves Choni. Big fuzz pedal. Uh, <laughs> that's Choni. It shows Chachi. Polly loves Chani. And we get to get that as Polly loves Chani. Polly loves Chani. We're gonna that as Make it. It's being made right now. And he begins. To, and we see the beginning of like their relationship as he sits down and as he sits down and plays her love song. Yeah, I won't lie though. From this point on, the relationship between Chani and Paul feels like a million different books I've read. Yeah. The the the. the but but it's still it's, it's still great. It's still it's great. It's still great. It doesn't feel yeah. unnatural for no. me, especially no. when we keep jumping to Mom's head. When we keep jumping to Jessica's head, and she's like, "Oh God, he's gonna bang the wild chick." Yeah. <laughs> right. I don't know. We're we're a royal family. Yeah. We don't do that. <laughs> or at least we don't do it in the open. <laughs> That's true. You know nothing, more, Dave. <laughs> John Snow reference. I don't yes. <laughs> Yes. Uh, meanwhile, on the home world of the Harkonnens. Do, do, do. The Harkonnens. The Har- Harkonnen. Wait, <laughs> so we went down to the Harkonnens. The Harkonnens. We, get, we get to Fade Rotha. We get to this gladiator fight. We find out that Fade's a douche. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hate this Fade. Because he freaking uh. cheats. Because he's supposed to be wearing this glass. This was, again, another part that I was really thankful for at this part of the book because we have gone through so much weird political intrigue that yeah. the fu- the fight scene, the funeral scene, into this gladiator fight with douchey Fade. Um, Fade douchta. Um, <laughs> he's supposed to have, he wears a black glove and a white glove and only one of them is supposed to have poison on it. Right. And so we go into this fight and... Who does he? Who does he act? And so Fade's cheating because he's got poison on both of them. And again, we see the Harkonnens, and we see this society set up by the Emperor and this society, this royal Roman society, 
is they're right. watching these gladiator fights. And everything's set up for your guy to win. Everything's set up for Fade to win without him cheating. Because yep. usually what happens is the other guy's supposed to be drugged. Mm -hmm. mm. So we get into this gladiator fight. They got blades. The dude's his uh, opponent is supposed to come out drugged, but he's not drugged. But they painted him to look like he's drugged. The gladiator <laughs> comes out. He's one of it. He's he's one of. Uh, Atreus's men. He's actually he's actually bloodily carved a hawk into his own arm. Which okay, that's badass. Mm -hmm. um, he's supposed to be drugged, but he's not. Except for the fact that again, we have more cheating stuff up here because he's also been brainwashed to freeze if uh, Fade Dusha actually says a bad <laughs> actually says a certain keyword. Luke and, so, and I have a word like that when I whisper it to him. Keyword, not safe word. No. No. Keyword. Uh, that's <laughs> true. Flugel has been drugged into him. Yeah. Ah, oh, dang it! Yeah. Let's get going! I know. See, I like to listen to Charlie Mancini during sex. Mm. Um, so, you gonna cut this? <laughs> cut this again. <laughs> okay, so Fade Dusha fights the guy. Actually, the guy starts, like, stepping up on Fade a little bit, so Fade says the word so that the guy freezes and can kill him, and just proving that he's... I right. hate him. I hate to, I hate right. anybody who cheats in a fight. Right, but you always feel uneasy with bad guys who cheat all the time, right? Because you always feel like the protagonist is somehow bound to these ethical rules of battle, which bad men will circumvent and then win because they're willing to do anything. True. Yes. Yeah. And that, I mean, you'll probably, you know, when this was being written, there probably wasn't a lot of that out at the time, but these days, like, that's just like every freaking yeah, right. straight-to-DVD movie. Yeah, I have a code of honor. Well, I'm bad and I'm going to cheat. Yeah. Great, greatness <laughs> is always copied a million times until it becomes yeah. tropey and everybody does not see it and anymore for how forward thinking it is. Tropish. Tropish. And then we go into the weird. And so we get through the gladiator fight and he's cheated and we all hate him. And, and then we go into the snore fest that is this count and lady discussing, Veteran, yeah. discussing how the lady's going to go bang Farah or yeah. Fayette. Yeah. Fayette. Yeah. I don't care. Fade. It's no. <laughs> bureaucracy behind it. Don't A bureaucratic banging, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> wow. So we get to, eventually we get to Siege Tabur, the home of Stilgar, and his his troop of freemen. Fremen. Mm -hmm. Freeman. Morgan. Because Morgan they're Fremen. Because Morgan. they're free men. Yes. Well, they will <laughs> be. <laughs> Can we move along with number 12? Free! So the Fremen take Paul and Jessica. We get to Siege Tabur, um, Stilgar's home. This is when we find out that, hey, Paul, by the way, you're 15. You now have this woman and two kids. Uh, I just kind of want to like and, learn math. Um, can I do something? And Paul, uh, Paul is like, um, um, do do I do I have to take her as a wife? Oh, well, you can take her as a servant, and then in a year you can decide if you want. You know, to you know I, I like the, <laughs> I like the image painted in the movie better, where I, I don't. I don't know that it was brought up that he was 15. Probably not, because no. that'd, be, that'd be weird for a movie. No, no because the actress, the, the actor, obviously. The right. idea of him being 15 just kind of brings me back to, like, the state of mind I was in when we read Ender's Game. Yeah. Where it's like, uh, I don't really want to read about a kid doing this no, stuff. No, I agree. Well, and, and I have run into the problem where, in my head, because I've seen the movie... I never see him as 15. No. My mind automatically ages him to like 25, and I never see him as a 15-year-old. And if I had to go back and read this and force myself to think of him as a 15-year-old, I couldn't do it. 
Jesus Christ was 33. Oh, and all that happened. Um, so, so I like I just can't visualize a 15-year-old doing what's going to happen in this book. And I, it's something I dislike. So the Fremen hold... The, we, we get there, everything gets set up. He gets set up at his house with Hera as, her, as a servant. And her, like, eight- and nine-year-old boys are now uh, Paul's honor guard. Mm. <laughs> and we get to... Yeah, this is Ender's game now. We, we, we yeah. get... We get to the Fremen, and we get to this ceremony that Jessica's like, um, okay, I really have to become the Reverend Mother, and we meet Skeletor, the Reverend Mother, the current Reverend Mother, who's dying. <laughs> well, just, I mean, <laughs> she's de- they, they describe her as being, ba- being almost dead. Right. She's all dried up and, like, scully, and, like, Jessica talks about being able to see, like, her jawline and everything else, and... Uh. And what happens here is a major centerpiece of the book. And this is kind of cool. I think so. We get Jessica drinks the poison, and she's got to, like... It's raw melange, isn't it? Raw spice? Well, it's 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 the water life. It's the rendering of a small... Yeah, you kill a worm worm in a pool. But it's poison, and so she's got to figure... And so she has to, within her body, uh, move around the molecules to make it not poison. Right, right. And during this time, she has this vision quest with this little girl who walks up who is actually the old lady. Yeah. And then she goes through this vision quest and then finds out that now now we get into, like, the mysticism of spice and this idea of now she has all... And genetic memory. Right. Because now she has all the genetic memories of every reverend mother ever. That has ever been. Oh. Which, now this is going to get... Really weird, really fast. Okay. It's already been pretty weird, so <laughs> let's go. The dying mother comes to Jessica. They talk about stuff. Um, we get to this idea. Eventually, she figures it out. She makes the water in the pouch. Not not only does she make the water within herself, but she makes the water in her pouch safe to drink. And then they pass it around. They pass it around and drink it. Then everybody gets high, and we have an orgy. And Chani and Paul yeah. like don't Chani and Paul. We gotta pause that because go off I have a boot scene. I now need to know. Uh, because uh, this is a dense book. Yeah, did you just... It is, yeah, no, it's it's huge, and I was reading it, or listening to it, as it was being read to me. Did I miss something? Is this orgy ever explained? What is going on here? Is this... No. Am, am I seeing this correctly as a weird sexual orgy? Because if that's the case, Dune Messiah is going to get real bizarre. <laughs> um, real crazy. That's what I envisioned of it, because they have a sense of each other. So they can like have like awareness of each other. Or it's the seventies. the seventies. They're all, everybody's doing wow. LSD and writhing around in the living room. Oh my uh, god! Old Red Frankie Herbert's plays, except for the two kids, <laughs> and the two kids go off and have their own little private boot scene. Yeah. It. Yeah. Um. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's an orgy. <laughs> It's definitely I an orgy. Just, it was just that you just kind of glossed over it. But in, it's an orgy. And in all honesty, it, it, <laughs> dude, it is summer. It is the time of orgies. It is. All the leaves are all the leaves are brown. That'd be. That hell fall. was that? <laughs> that fall. Uh, but, Come over on Sunday. I'll show you. <sighs> no, this, no, this book too is like one big just. Sniffing sand, yeah, um, for the melange and oh, just yeah, getting high yeah, all the time. Oh. Paul's fifteen-year-old guy or kid just killed a guy. This is this is yeah, so. I just, killed, I just killed a guy and I get to bang yeah. the hot native chick. Yeah, this is very yeah. much. This is so counterculture Like coming out at sixty in sixty-five. This is a sci-fi 
counterculture manifesto. I can see why this was underground and so many people were into this book. And this is this this is Game of Th this scene is almost perfectly Jon Snow with the Wilding Chick in Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And well, again, it's before the before she ta before she now. takes his virginity. Which, granted, in the books, Jon Snow would have been about 16, 17 years old in the books. I, I know nothing of Jon Snow in the they, books. They aged everybody about, they aged all the kids about 10 years yes, to make it did. not weird in the, in the TV show. Schmart. Yep. Yeah, because, the, yeah, the books are far more shocking, especially the first. But no, and I'm not, I'm not knocking Martin for that, I'm not knocking Herbert for that. I mean, it's, it's, it's the whole, book two is the coming of age. Mm -hmm. Book book one was our introduction. Book one was meeting the characters. Book one was setting Paul up to to be a man, and now he's making that transition to where when once we once we start in book three here and we do the time jump, I'm a man now. He's hitting messianic puberty. Yes, if that's a thing. And he's hitting, <laughs> well, he's hitting messianic puberty and real puberty. Yeah. Let's go around the table. How old are you each when you lost your virginity? Why are we doing that? <laughs> Four point two. <laughs> now we are two years. Two years have passed since the events of Book Two. Um, oh. We have the Harkonnen is putting his pieces together, or thinks he's putting his pieces together. Um, we have th this is where I was talking about earlier, where we have the assassination attempt against Har Harkonnen. Mm -hmm. um, and do, do you guys remember how they attempted to assassinate him? Mm. They one of his because we, we've established that Harkonnen likes his young boys. And so in liking his young boys, the attempted assassination was they implanted a needle full of poison in a boy's thigh and then sent the drugged concubine boy into his room, thinking that Harkonnen would grab the boy's thighs like he always does and stick himself with the needle. How well, great is that? <laughs> Ain't nobody going for the thighs. Ain't nobody got time for that. You know, I don't usually go for them either. No. Well, and, and he comes in and he, like, and he kills the kid. Yeah. <laughs> He, he, he strangles the kid to death. Yep. He kills him and then comes in and like starts yelling at his ye yelling at his men about, you know what kind of boys I like? I like him perfect. And that one had a blemish on his thigh, so I knew something was wrong. That's Jeez. right. And listening to this on the audiobook is creepy as hell. Yeah. Because, and Bob, what you were talking about on the audiobook, I, I started hearing that in the audible version right. that I have. Uh -huh. I started hearing that where you would where it would occasionally be the narrator reading him. Well, oh, saying, so they did do that. They did do that, and, okay. and then it's occasionally like jaw, and then it's occasionally a dude underwater doing a Admiral Akbar impression. Okay, good because I thought because I'm listening to the version that's on YouTube. Going, did they marry two versions together? Yes, or what? no, they did that. But this version, uh, if I remember correctly, at this portion, it is the actor, and okay. so it is just. I don't know how I like my boys. Mm. That one has a British on his They modulate his voice so it's like lower. Uh, a lower pitch. Uh, yeah, it's not to go. And yeah, so we find out the Baron thinks that Fade Rafa is behind is behind the assassination attempt when it is actually uh, Howard that is behind the attempt. But mm -hmm. Howard is smart enough to like put stuff in front of him as he's trying to. And Howard here we find out is still basically loyal to the Atreides. Mm -hmm. um, he's just playing the game. He's trying to, he's trying to take out the Harkonnens from within. He kills the boy. He, gra he grabs Fade because he believes that Fade is the one who did this, and Fade is basically tells him, "No, it wasn't mine." And then he explains his whole plan to Fade. Right. I'm setting up your I'm setting up your cousin to um, be a bad guy on Dune, so that you can come in and be the savior later on. Because I want you to come in 
and it's a fool. It was a foolish attempt on my life, and they make a deal. Like fate never actually says no. It wasn't me, right? Hmm. And so he, he, they had. Then they make this deal of okay, let's not try to kill each other because I'm trying to set you up to eventually be emperor. Right, right, right. Uh, and so we go through. They they set up their little truce. Um, the Baron meets with Howitt. Uh, we get a message to Raban. Raban's. Uh, Harkonnen is sending a message to Raban saying you're cut off. You still owe me your spice quota, but you're cut off from any help. You got to deal with everything that's on Arrakis by yourself. Mm-hmm. This is the the squeeze. Yes, on Dune. Yes. So he's setting up Raban to like go to basically make the people of Dune hate him because he's now needs to he now needs to push them harder. Right. Um, we go through here. Um, we have this whole idea that how it figures out that everything that's been going on on Arrakis is the is the Fremen. They still don't know about Paul. They still don't know about anything. But the Fremen have been doing these uprisings and this guerrilla warfare for the last two years. Right. Right. Um, we get Count Fer- Fennering again, which I don't care about Count Fennering. No. For Count Fennering and his <laughs> fucking slutty wife. That's a nightmare. <laughs> Well, no, and it, there's this weird. I always picture Fennering here too as like just this, just the the, the the little skinny guy that's, and it talks about his wife being very voluptuous and sexy. But he's the little skinny. He, he's he's the little he's the little guy who's got like the trophy wife. Mm-hmm. But she's smarter than he is, so she's actually the ones pulling the strings. Yeah. And they're they're talking, and so they keep talking about you know who she's gonna sleep with, and um, you know. The Baron doesn't trust Fennering because he thinks Fennering's now in on the thing, and we get this whole political machination that nothing ever comes. So I'm wondering if Frank Herbert is like lampooning here because he'd worked for a while in the political. Mm. So there was some politician that he'd worked for, and so a lot of I think that his ideas about politics and what goes on behind the scenes in politics come from that. So I wonder if this was some couple Bar- borrowing a bit. From you borrowing a bit mm-hmm. from reality. Right. Yes, and again, it's the swing in seventies. We just went through the sixties. Sixties, excuse me. It's the swing in sixties. We've just went through the Fremen orgy. Um, we now it's have, true. I, yeah, we just went through the Fremen, Fremen sexual orgy. revolution. Now we have this guy who both him and his wife are okay with her having sex with other people to, for political gain. Yep. Yes, um, for the Bini Jezreel to get the yes. Harkonnen seed. Yes. So they don't lose it. Yeah. So now, yeah. That's and that's the whole thing is she's gonna go and milk fed so that they keep, <laughs> so that they keep the seed. I <laughs> use different words. <laughs> that's what they're talking about. Well, in the count too, he's kind of playing both roles. He kind of plays like an idiot, but mm-hmm. everyone knows that he's a, an assassin too. Right. Mm-hmm. So Baron's afraid of him. Well, and so we find we, we then now we kick over to Arrakis, and again it's two years later. Right, don't worry. Right, don't we worry. Find out that, right, don't worry. We find out that Paul's got a two-year-old. Paul's got a two-year-old named Lado, named him after his dad. Yeah, he's got a two-year-old with Johnny, and now he's got a baby go th- having babies. Yeah, <laughs> well, they're 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 seventeen, eighteen now, um, and so we get into this, and now we get into this whole. You know, the next stage, and it's the next trial. Paul has to ride his worm for the first time. Right. He wrote it yes. at the end of book two. He got his worm ridden for the first time. Oh, and now he's going to ride for the first time. Yeah. That I, sounds like a right progression. <laughs> um, so things really pick up here. Uh, I really like this whole kind of calling the worm as the worm's coming and how they get 
get on get a hook it. it, and then it cannot touch the sand where you've hooked it because it'll twist. Because well, they so split, gotta, though they split out kind of the not not but like there's segment. ribbing, there's rib separation. So you separate right. the ribs and then because there's a soft spot at the ribs that you can hook into. Yeah, and they they kind of force into that soft spot, jack open that rib, and the the worm doesn't want to turn so that that touches the sand. Right. Correct. Right? So you can steer them that way. I, I like this. This, this is good. the scene that sold it to a studio. This is the scene that this sold it. This is the yes. scene that sold it 100%. to a studio. No, we got, he's going to be on this giant worm and he's going to be riding it around with these hooks and there'll be other people on the worm and he'll, but he's going to get the biggest worm that's ever been written. And I can't, I don't care if you like the movie or not, but it is the stupidest scene in the movie. Oh, stupider than the ornithopter? I don't know. Okay, ornithopter, <laughs> ornithopter, the worst. Yeah. Uh, but him with that stupid plug in his nose, riding that worm. I'm I'm sure the studio executives sat down thinking they were about to see Empire Strikes Back, <laughs> and then they saw that guy up on that worm with yeah. those plugs in his nose. Yeah. They're like, okay. Um, they don't do it justice. <laughs> no, they don't because this is an awesome scene. This would be incredibly dynamic, and I'm very excited to see what a modern studio can do. For yes. This. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, we also find out here too that um, Aaliyah has been born. And Aaliyah was the dot. Aaliyah was in the womb when Jessica became the Reverend Mother, and so Aaliyah also absorbed all of the genetic memory of all of the Reverend Mothers, and so she's now like two and a half, three years old, walking around talking like an old lady. Right. Yep. And, and creeping everyone out. Creeping everybody the hell out. Including yes. me. Yeah. It is incredibly creepy. Yeah. Um. It, super interesting concept, though. Oh, yeah. To have right. this, to have this two-year-old that is alert, and if anybody who's a parent, you know, um, everybody but Luke here yes. is right now is a, is, is a parent. You know, you remember the you, the the twos and the threes of your kids, where it's just kind of like living with a drunken old person. <laughs> they can't walk right. They're constantly bumping into things. They're slurring their words, and just to think about the idea of this put-together two-year-old who's just talking like young Sheldon the entire time. Right, and can you imagine being born with full consciousness of where you are? You're no. stuck in the womb, floating around in hot water. Yeah, and she even talks about it. Yeah. She even talks about, remember, being in the womb and, like, coming out. And, uh. and has conscious memory of that. Uh. But we could simulate births. I think some people do that for therapy. Like, you actually re... Through through he's, through he's a right. through that's a rebirth, you rebirth uh, yourself. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what we're gonna, right? That's what we need to do for the YouTube channel. Is we get a bouncy house, we make a sphincter, and, and then we all come up. We all come out through the through the. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's a different website. I'll <laughs> shoot hot water. Like I said you. before, you start watching it, and then you go, "I want to see where this goes." Oh no, no, no. that doesn't yeah, happen. Then the FBI shows up at your house <laughs> four months later. After you've destroyed your hard drive. So the ladies are sent. Hi, I'm Chris Hansen. <laughs> yeah. I don't even want cookies. I don't even want this cookie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got some chicken nuggets and some condoms. <laughs> but <laughs> we're just gonna. No, I was here to hang. talk to her. I wanted to talk her. We're just gonna I, hang. I wanted to talk her out of doing. I wanted to talk her out of doing this. I wanted to show her the danger. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a nice guy. Somebody could just but show there's up. a lot of danger. <laughs> <laughs> what if I wasn't a nice guy? That's what I wanted to press upon yeah. her. Watch out. So all the ladies are being sent somewhere. Paul goes out with Stilgar. 
Um, he's been trained by Snogar on you know the steps for how to ride the worm. Yeah. And so we do we do have a nice little montage. We do have a nice little setup here with you know <coughs> they set up they set up one of the thumpers. And mm. what 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 did you guys see? In what do you guys see in your head as to what a thumper actually is? Like a tiny little honest, automated I, jackhammer thing that just keeps hitting the ground. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like, know. Like, like, like a some, stool. Like some sort of like large a, metronome. Yeah. Like just. I, I didn't even see like this for no reason. I saw a high lift jack that can bounce <laughs> up and down. Oh yeah. Just, I, I, don't, I have no idea why like, that's what was in my like head. the automatic post holder. Yeah. I, yeah. Holder. I don't know. Very weird. Okay. <laughs> so they go out there. They give the thumper. Other freemen give him hooks. Paul gets the thumper, and soon there's a giant worm headed his way, and he's excited. This is, and I'm excited. And a little, little concerned. This book needed too. adrenaline, and it's getting some finally. Mm -hmm. Finally, yeah. And then we cut away from it. This is what this is a yeah. part that I hated about Herbert's writing at this point. Yep. Is finish the scene. Yep. Finish the scene, and then go to the other stuff that's no, going it's on a right void. now. You gotta, you gotta earn it. That's right. That was edging. He just quarterly edged <laughs> yeah. through his prose. <laughs> no, it's true. You're wrong. Yeah. You're yeah. not wrong. No, almost yeah. there. He, oh, he, yeah. bring, he brings, so he brings you in, yeah. and then he pulls you back out again. That's right. Right before, and then he pushes you back into the narrative again, and pulls you right back out. As he yeah. in and out, in and out, in and out is Ugh. what he's doing, <laughs> uh, continuously. Never ending. If you just listened, his spice to Led Zeppelin's <laughs> a cashmere. Did you just, did you just, just John Bonham's bass just pounding into you. You just listened to cashmere. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> a spice finger against your lips. Meet with the elders of the Fremen race. I think that's a line in it. Shows of Dune. Uh, well, um, so okay. Let's keep. Hey, we got five listeners left. Yep. Let's keep going. Yep. <laughs> Jessica heads south. Um, we get the whole thing. Like Ted said, talks about uh, uh, Hera and Aaliyah. Um, Hera talks about you know Aaliyah's freaking people out. Hera even says, "Yeah, I'm freaking people out, and I don't know what to do about it." But <laughs> this, right. this is me. This is who I am. This is how I didn't ask for this. And we do have kind of a little mother-daughter thing here of the, you did this to me. I didn't ask to be born this way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we, we also see Jessica gain a huge amount of respect for Hera here, too. Who We see Jessica's transformation. Not only has she been the Reverend Mother for the last two years, but she's also, I mean, she was highborn. She was she was she was the rich chick who was married to a duke. She's always had the nicer things. Now she's been living among the people more, mm -hmm. and she's understanding that her idea of, you know, of the wild people was wrong. Mm -hmm. right. And she she actually has respect now for the wild people. She gained some respect for Hera that she didn't have before. And then you know one of the messengers runs in the door, and um, some of the young some of the young guys are trying to trying to goad your kid into challenging Stilgar. For leadership, and that's not going to end well for anybody. Yeah. And so, what do you think of this idea of? Again, we have this, you know, leadership by death. You know, you yeah. take if you want, you gotta, you gotta, you know, you walk into the prison yard, you punch the biggest guy there. I, I, I like it, but I think he's kind of juxtaposing. Yes, bringing it yeah. back up. Nice. Yeah. Bringing it back up. Harking back. Yeah. Barbarism to kind of more high-minded civilization where the Fremen themselves are, although being seen as being noble, 
Um, there's also these antiquated ideas that exist within their culture. So you're you're seeing Paul Muad'Dib as being the leader that is uh, that is ish ushering in even a new civility amongst the Fremen people themselves. So they're outlining and highlighting for the sake of action, I think, um, this action piece, but in the end we'll find out that this violence is not something that Paul will aspire to. Well, and when we get to that point, we can jump ahead to that point, yeah. that point as well. Paul even t makes the comment here, which is actually a very intellectual comment. Why, when we're going to war, am I going to take down, am I going to eliminate one right. of my biggest guns? Right. And so he sets it up where he is, he is more the religious leader and the figurehead and let Stilgar still be the general. Right. Yeah. Yeah, like before that, they have a conversation with Stilgar and Paul about how Stilgar killed his other leader. Yeah. Take well, yeah, over. That, that's how you become leader. Well, we're good buds, you know, but you know, all stronger, so I took the clan. <laughs> he didn't mind. I mean, it was just it was kind of nonchalant. Yeah, it happens, so I understand well, if yeah, you have to you know, take right. me out. Yeah, yeah, Stilgar even says that. He's like, I'm going to lose, but I understand why you have to do it. It's it's the way, and people keep yelling at Paul, it's the way. Well, it's not the way anymore, bitches. <laughs> well, I wouldn't even call it antiquated. I would say it's natural. The natural law of order, like, even if you look at lions or any other predatory animal, you right. kill the male in that area, you take over, you kill his cub. You plant, spew your own seed all over the countryside, right. and uh, stake your claim. So, like, it's true. That's messed up. Imagine if society was like that. Well, you're a good teacher today, but someone's going to try to kill you tomorrow. So, good luck. <laughs> yeah, right. That is the way. So, Paul rides the worm. He rides. Here it comes. He rides, part. He rides the worm, and as they're and as they're riding the worm, all of a sudden. Skippy, 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 skippy. Hey, there's an ornithopter over there. So everybody jumps off the worm and like <laughs> grabs their sand capes and lays down in the desert so they can't be seen by the ornithopter. Yeah. And even Stilgar, like, uh, all right, well, you rode the worm. It's pretty messy. Twelve year old could have done better. <laughs> uh, but, but you did it. Yeah. And well, so uh, in the movie, what like a <laughs> low speed, low stakes situation it seemed like. I <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yes, where I'm hoping that it, when it comes across in the newer movie, it is just like... Like, like a fast worm. It. You want hot worm coming through. Yeah, yeah, I, I want... You I don't want, want... I want speed three worm. Okay. I got you. You don't want slow worm crawling at you? No. no. Coming? <laughs> Slowly? Hot fast, baby. Hot and fast. So they follow... That they've Paul, Paul and gang follows the ornithopter, finds these smugglers that are stealing spice out of the desert and they go in and they take them over like that and there's, no, there's no problem yeah. there's no problem like that and then paul like walks over to the guy who's like the leader as they're fighting and all of a sudden realizes hey it's gurney halleck hi gurney patrick stewart's back yeah yeah <laughs> and we have the, and we do it this is engage a, this is a nice scene of, this is a Very nice so. scene of i thought you were dead and actually, it's I, the way it's written here too. One of the things that pops in Gurney's head because Paul walks up to him and like rips his mask off and is like, "Stop your man, it's me." And the first thing that pops into Gurney's head is Leto. Yeah. Oh no, that's Paul. You look like your father. And so yeah, so now Gur now Gurney's back in the fold. And I'm very happy that Gurney's back in the, the fold. The gang's getting back together, yeah. guys. Well, yeah. we're, in, we're in Act 3. We're yeah. in Act 3. Right. It needs to. Yeah. Everybody's got to come together for this final battle. Right. Right. Um, and so Paul has, you know, Paul brings Gurney back. 
he accepts his name. He, he, you know, goes through like we talked about with the whole thing of I am Muad'Dib. Right. I am not, you know, St or Stilgar is Stilgar is the general. I am your I am your leader. I will not do that. I am also your duke. At which point Stilgar actually like kneels before him and like calls him the duke and like everybody else kneels and Duke Duke Muad'Dib da 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 da. Right. And so Paul's got this great idea. Guess what? Mom's gonna be really happy that Gurney's back. <laughs> <laughs> and you're laughing, Daddy. Do you? <laughs> what happens? Because yeah, so they still think that uh, Jessica betrayed the whole house. Right. And so Thufir Howard does too. And so when they left and got um, whatever exiled into trading and and being on the being on the smugglers, he still thinks that she took everybody down. And right. so I think when uh, when he sees her for the first time, I think, oh, Paul doesn't know yet. And he just immediately, I think he... He walks, in, he walks in the room in front of Paul, and like Paul's in the hallway talking to somebody, and Gurney walks into the room, grabs Jessica, and is like, puts a shut knife. up, puts yeah. a, don't you dare use that voice. Paul walks in, Mom, Gurney! What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to kill this Betty Chester witch. What the heck's going on in here? Yeah. And we do have a little bit of manufactured tension here where it's like, okay, we know he's not going to kill Jessica. Yeah. Yeah, but we had this whole. No, she did it. She betrayed your father. No, she loved my father. It was the doctor. Dramatic irony. The doctor was brainwashed. He couldn't have hurt a royal. No, I know a way to fix that. I have proof. He wrote us a letter. <laughs> it's not here though. <laughs> right. But I will find it. But from now this point, right, this is when Paul's going to go into the place uh, where they're squeezing out the little. Uh, the worm jelly, and he's going to decide to take take the drug just like his mother did. The water of life, yeah. The water of life, yeah. He's got to get more high. Well, and we don't, yeah. Mine expansion. He's not getting high enough. We got to we we get mine expansion. Man, yeah. starting you can't to see the future. Or we got mine expansion, and in the book, I think it hits it pretty well here because... Mm -hmm. He's, he's thinking about it, he's like staring at the pool of water, he's thinking about it, he's like, oh, this is what I have to do to make my next ascension, to make my next step. Nah, man, I got a tolerance, I'm gonna fix, dude. And <laughs> Come on, man, he, pretty much, he pretty much goes too far. Yep. Well, he, he does, and he goes too yep. far, but, so he takes that, he, he, he leaves Gurney and his mother, and Gurney's singing his mother a love song. Yeah. And which on, the set. on the Balaset. On the Balaset. And so all of a sudden. Which I see as a sitar. Yeah. This whole time, oh, the yeah. Balaset is just some guy sitting around and playing a sitar. Or the Dulcimer. <laughs> Dulcimer. Dulcimer. Yeah. Dulcimer. <laughs> and I like, I really like this flash here, too. He's thinking about drinking the water. Yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm really going to set myself up to do this. And poof, it's three weeks later. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Coma time. Which, yep. again. My going my fave. Yeah. Go, going back to going back to the Christianity the Chris, the Christianity imagery. There we go. Uh -huh. Three weeks, three days. Yep. Where our Jesus, our, our Messiah appears to be dead. Right. Um, everybody believe you know many people believe yes. he's dead. Um, as we go through here, Chani's been summoned back from the south. Thinking it was her husband that summoned her. Yes. Uh, it wasn't. It was the mom. Hey, I need your help. I've tried everything I could do because he's been in a coma for three weeks. And they go in there, and poof, he's back. Right. Water of life, baby. You put the water <laughs> of life on him. 
high octane crap right there. That's right. I, actually, that's a really good read on that club. Definitely three weeks. Three weeks, three, three days. days. That's, the stone yeah. has been moved away from the temple. Right. And, or, he emerges. and he emerges. And, and, we, and we do have this idea, I mean, although it's not follower women, but this idea of the first to kind of see him that oh. are, are the women. Oh, the first, the, correct, correct. Yeah. The, first, the first to see him were Mary Manglin and, what, was it Mary? It was Mary. Yeah. Yeah. Was it, and so was very high on the Jesus imagery here. Maybe still, maybe he's got spice holes in his hand or something. <laughs> All right. Um, still dribbling from his nose. Yes. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Um, and Paul comes in and like makes this great prophecy. Right. And what we find out though is Paul Paul was able to just lay there in like this trance, right? Changing the is the chemistry of his body, just like just his like his sister, mother did. Yeah, his mother around around the drug, right? Um, but he he talks about uh, he grabs Jessica's hand and tells him tells her about this this place where you cannot enter, right? One one that gives and one that takes, right? The the male and the female, and the male takes and the female gives, right? And this is completely steeped in the time where women were, you know, very much organizing and and pushing for rights, and it was very uh, progressive at the time for a writer to take on this this uh, position of having the power of man be the one that takes. And well, I mean, like you said, it's the theology of the chalice. Yeah. For, oh, yes, the sacred feminine yes, again. Yes, it is the sacred feminine. Yeah, correct. Because that's, you know, and that's how they're depicted is the upward V and the downward V. Yeah, because the, the chalice, you know. Ooh, thanks, Bob. Do that. The cup yeah, of life. Show me. Right? Like, <laughs> show me. Yeah, it's like this. Oh. I'll drink from that. <laughs> Great audio. Audio. We are sans technology in this universe. Yes. Even though we have spaceships and everything else, we are sans technology. So nobody knows that above the planet right now is the, the Emperor and Baron Harkonnen who are waiting, <laughs> waiting to come and save the planet and loot the planet of everything. Right. So when Paul wakes up, he says, I have had a vision. They are above us right now. And then war begins. Yeah, uh, it's true. Mm -hmm. War were declared. They land behind Arrakis's rocky shield wall. And thought, yeah, Baron Har Baron Harkonnen, just the Emperor. There's five legions of Sadakar. Yeah, just beyond the shield generator. And there's a sand. Uh huh. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Uh huh. Uh -huh. I prefer Hoth. Uh, I'm telling you, George <laughs> George Lucas uh, ha has so much in common with Dune. That's like there are huge chunks. That they borrowed from each other. Really? I'm not gonna say they ripped it off, or but there's just that influence there. They're both they're both reading the same author. Quote so. from Frank Herbert: Trouble with the fact that Star Wars used up so much of Dune. We found 16 points of identity between my novel and Star Wars. That is not to say this was other than the than coincidence. Even though we figured the odds against coincidence and produced a number of larger than the number of stars in the universe. Hey, you know what? Never tell me the odds. Mm. One, I think in the modern mm. sense, we've come to see George oh, Lucas. George Lucas is the corporate entity that <laughs> he is. And we forget, a lot of people forget that when he started out in the 1960s and he was with Francis Ford Coppola, he was a super edgy director, the avant-garde, a rebel. He would have definitely been going to late-night movie theaters, sitting around just... Uh, Reading Dune. Reading Dune. <laughs> and, and that stuff just got infused into his work. Smoking weed with R.R. Martin. R.R. <laughs> <laughs> Martin, still giant with a ro derby hat on. Yeah, he, know, he, he, he hasn't aged since 1950. <laughs> He's looked the same ever since. 
and I keep getting go write that book. Is it is it me or is George R. R. Martin and Bruce Valanche really the same guy? <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a deep dive. I'm gonna it. bring up pictures right now so I can make that thing. As a, a thing. And George Herbert kind of looks like him too. Bru- Frank, <clears throat> Frank Herbert, yes. All right, so we got Sandstorm coming in, right? Yeah. It's gonna help everybody. It's gonna help Paul's troops. To, right. to to go back to Neil, convenient Sandstorm is convenient. It is. Yes, yes. it is. Shields. <laughs> Anything else? <laughs> <laughs> Shields. Tatter, you have a stroke. Shields. Sandstorm. How are we going to deal with the shields, guys? So the sandstorm strikes, and then we have the shield wall that they're behind, so frick it, let's nuke them. Right? Nuke the shields. Ah, uh, the atomics. And, and we, have, we have this whole plan where uh, the Fremen are going to blast the noses off the spaceships because the spaceships can't move if they don't have noses. Yeah. Same. And you know we're gonna blast the we're gonna nuke the shield wall. We're, then we're gonna rush the Sado car because we can take them because we are the people. We are the abused people, and we're gonna rise up against the emperor. And we're gonna take them down. That's right. And in the movie, we have guitar riffs wailing as Paul rides a worm <laughs> and shoots people with his voice lasers. Uh, <laughs> what a sweet scene! Uh, yeah. Again. Really cool on the page. Yeah. Why does it translate weird into Thanks a for the electric guitar in the back. Get my bungee cord. I'm gonna ride a worm. Oh, yeah. what is it? Who does the music? Is it? Is it? Yes. It's queen. Queen. It's queen. queen. Is it Queen? I think it's Queen, isn't it? No. Check Luke, it. Check it. Dune soundtrack. So, at, right as the sandstorm hits, the shield wall gets blown up. Paul and the soldiers are Paul and his soldiers are ready to do battles with the storm troop. I mean, I'm sorry, the sound of car. <laughs> Um, and all of a sudden we get date nine eight eight eight. Paul gets a text from Siege Tibber. Toto. Toto. Ryan Eno. But Paul Paul gets this message. Paul gets this message, and this came out of left field for me always. Paul gets the message. Um, Siege Tibber has been raided. Uh, every, there's a whole bunch of dead people. His mom and his wife are hiding out somewhere, and his kid. They killed the two year old kid. Yeah. Right. Threw him off the wall. And, and, and Aaliyah's been captured. So if there's one thing that doesn't seem to jive with me, it's the use of atomics that don't seem to be very atomic. Right. Right, like we're constantly told that they use atomics. Let's glass this zombie. Yeah. Uh, it's, well, it's kind of... It's well, they're atomics! Yeah. I mean, like, we should have nuclear fallout and... Yeah, the, the, these, the sand should be glass. Oh, the, these these atomic weapons are definitely scaled down. Well, it could have been like a tactical nuke. I think it is. Like I think that's what we're meant to Vietnam. think. Yeah, and and maybe I'm wrong. We're maybe told this. Is there a limit to how big these nukes can be, and considered still, um, I don't know, within the realm of societies laws mm. to use because you know we know that they can use nukes against each other no in they, a limited extent right no if they use nukes on each other and they yeah. kill humans with them the total the planet will be obliterated oh that's what it was right so a non-human yeah. you can so paul finds out his kid's dead who he was baggage were, anyway he was he was <laughs> He was. We never. We never met. Th- we never really saw. It's him. true. Yeah. Like I. I feel Frank Herbert is eliminating a a plot. Kind of hadn't even smiled yet. Yeah. Two years. Yeah. He's like, oh, well, crap. I had no I, signs of joy. I wanted for the plot my main character to take over the family to say something about his character and about the Fremen as a people. But in the end, I don't want Chani needs to be in our minds, the beautiful voluptuous native. 
and she can't be burdened with these children. I'm well, nuking them in the third act. And I, well, yeah, <laughs> I, and I can't have, oh, oh God, I've gotten to the third act here, and I've really done nothing with this kid other than have him exist to show the bond between Chani and right. Paul. They're a pain in the butt. I didn't like that. But let's, uh, I, I can't do it. Because if I want all this stuff to go with family lines and emperors, I can't still have the firstborn around. Right. It's true. Yep. So little Leto is dead. Aaliyah's been captured. And we see Paul, like, have an angsty face of, oh, no. We, we see Paul do, we see Paul do, the, you know, do the classic, no. And then we flip to the end. And this is another time where he doesn't finish the scene. He flips to another place. And he flips to the Emperor's ship. You could probably just do a new chapter and finish the same thought with just a tiny sliver of a chapter. Yes. Like Pierce Brown does. This is good, though, because Aaliyah shows up on the... In front of the emperor, and is still creeping everyone out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they're yeah, like, they get her out of here. They, 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 bring in the, they bring in the high, the, the high. Helen Moheim, Reverend Mother, Reverend Mother Gaius Helen Moheim. Get that child out of here. She's, the way you say it makes it sound like she's Scottish. Yeah, the Reverend uh, Mother Moheim. Moheim. Gaius Helen. Gaius Helen McDermott Moheim. 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 Um, she's an abomination. We must kill her. She yeah. kind of is. <laughs> she's Definitely. great, though. This is the best but part of the movie. This is the best, this is the is, best yeah. part of Aaliyah. Yeah. This is the best part of Aaliyah. Um, it, it's just, you know, she comes in and she's like, I have your memories, too. <laughs> freaking two-year-old. I have your memories, too. I will get... And she stabs her Conan. Yeah. Wait well, till, she's well, talks about Wait until Dude Messiah with what yeah. this all leads yeah. to. What is in her mind? Because remember, she has the memories of all the old mothers, including her own. Yes. Right. Which means he, she sees her father. Yes. If I had waking visions of my dad <laughs> penetrating me, I would be a profound... Can you admit? Okay, yeah. well, no, we're saving this for Dude Messiah. <laughs> Join I'll us, it. Join I'll, us I'll for Deeper it. Delves, yeah. Dune Messiah, as we plumb the depths of if your child had memories of you yeah. as a sexual entity yeah. with your mother. Yeah. <laughs> it is unbelievable. Okay. Mind oh, don't you? Mind blown. Oh, my God. I need, I need an adult. <laughs> I need an adult. Maybe there's a lot of Freudian stuff here. The memories of a sandworm yes. penetrating the sand. I smell like, bad. I need this bad. is all very coital. Uh, vanilla yogurt and oatmeal. Uh, That's all I think. Oh, worm. <laughs> fetal memories. This is very yes, gross. So this is where the emperor finally realizes what a fighting force the women are. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes. He starts getting reports of like everything's going to hell. Yeah, and Baron, Baron Harkin is saying, oh, they're just rabble. And he goes, they... Women and children and old men right. wiped out almost all my Sardaukar. Yeah, and so it's the bee suits. It's hard to find. <laughs> and, well, and again, you have to you have to remember here too, Alea, <laughs> not Leia. That'd be Star Wars. Well, yes. Alea, Alea, not Ewoks. These are Fremen. <laughs> Alea kills the Emperor, or excuse me, kills the Baron. It was like Jabbar. Who's actually her grandfather, and she knows it's her grandfather. Sticks him in she, the hand. Yeah, she tells him. I think yeah, she is. tells him. She tells him that, yeah, yeah. I am your granddaughter. <laughs> yep. Peace out. Peace out. The Emperor uh, sees everybody, <laughs> and then the Emperor looks out the window and sees the army of sandworms with riders coming in. <laughs> awesome scene. Will be done great in a new movie. Yeah. I hope the plot continues. They roll over the stormtroop. I'm sorry, Sardaukar. Um Don't they blast through the wall? Yes, mm -hmm. they blast through the wall. Paul walks in because they're at the governor's mansion now. Yeah, and so right. Paul walks in and sits down. This is my chair because <laughs> I am the Duke. 
And so we again we do the classic we do the classic trope of we keep one dude alive to go tell everybody else. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And so they send the one beat up Sardaukar alive. Hey, uh, go talk to the emperor, and I'll take terms of his surrender. Very cocky at this point. Uh huh. Well, then at the end of that scene too, he he sits down and he's still concerned about the jihad because he still sees multiple possibilities. Right. Like he doesn't yeah, he's, see. There's multiple futures. He sees his own death. He yeah. sees this. He doesn't know what's going to happen, so he's really concerned. And this is, but this is his exception. This is his. He is again to go back to the Jesus metaphor that this entire thing is. This is him accepting, and now he's accepting the fact that he is the Quidzak Haderach. Jesus has gone through his trials. He now accepts the fact that he is Jesus, and he sees that, and he understands that he has to die for everybody's sins. Right. Well, but then you get to the jumbling of the storylines where we've had kind of the death imagery and the rising from the yes. tomb. So you're looking at this, well then is this Armageddon? Is this the final battle that's happening? But no, I agree that those story threads are getting muddled around somewhere. We're back in the Garden of Gethsemane in yes. some ways and whatnot. So the, the storyline plot threads are, are, are jacked around. Yes. And so we get um, everybody, now, now we got everybody together. Yep. Why, not, why not end a book on some political machination? Why not? <laughs> poor choice. I'm going to call this out yeah. as being a real poor choice. Yeah. <coughs> uh, Thur- Thurfur is there. And th- Paul is like, hey, what are you doing here? Um, I've been poisoned and I'm dying. Uh, but how did, did he will milk a cat and save me? Yeah. Well, well, and the emperor like gave Holland this like he's going to talk to you because you're one of him. Make him trust you, and then stab him with this poison needle. Mm. Right. And but how it refuses, he dies in Paul's arms because he doesn't get the antidote Antidote that he gets. I will. I'm going to get all the houses against you. The emperor starts railing. Oh, this has been part of my plan. Watches your friends die. Remember friends. Uh, Paul orders the representative, but Paul actually goes up and he starts talking to remember our booger, our our, our booger people. Oh, booger boy, booger boy, booger boy spews on wall. Booger, booger boy spews on wall. Oh, so he goes to the booger boy, boy guild and goes, hey, booger boy guild. the booger boy guild, and goes, hey, you got a choice. You're all massive drug addicts. Either you don't listen to the emperor, or I cut off the drugs. If you listen to the emperor, I cut off the drugs yeah. and spice, spice, and gu- spice flows. Yep, the space and guild just goes. Yeah, okay, we're we're. I'm gonna put my hands up and see how this guy, or my tentacle up and see how. Good this leverage. Goes. Good leverage. Very good leverage. Yeah, he actually threatened to destroy all the spice forever, mm-hmm. and he could do it. Oh yeah, they yeah. tell you how you do it, but the guild is prescient, so they can see that. Right. And they peace out. They and just like, leave. Sounds good. <laughs> all right, we'll, all right. we'll come back after you guys figure this out. <laughs> Um, yes, uh, they leave. The emperor gets all pissed off. Um, however, Paul go- then goes to the re- or goes to the reverend mother here. Um, I am not your puppet. I am not going to do. I am not going to be the Bene Gesserit puppet. I'm not going to do what you what you think uh, you want me to do or what you people have been setting this up. I will not do the jihad. I will not do this. Um, and we continue on. And because this book is not long enough, so we have to do uh, some more here at the end. But Vader Alpha uh, challenges Paul to a duel. I will kill him! <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm supposed to be emperor. 
<laughs> I would die if Sting attacked me in an oiled nude state. <laughs> I would curl up into the fetal position. But you die with a smile on your face. I would, yes. Just stab me now, multiple times. <laughs> and I'm really, dis- I actually, I'm really disappointed that Paul kills him so quickly here. Yep. Uh, uh, I, I figured I figured it would have been much more tantric for Sting to die. Oh wow, tantric! Way to bring it up. Uh, I, I like some of the scene where they he poisoned the Emperor's blades, poisoned. Yeah. And then Paul converts the poison and tells him, "Oh, you put that on there, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Converted that. Get, yeah. Right. Get, guess what? <laughs> and I I have spent the last many years of my life building up a tolerance to iocane powder." Right. <laughs> so, so what do you th- what do you think of the end? Does does this match up the epic nature? We have had Paul Muad'Dib. We have the story of Messiah. I'm going to point out for me an issue that I have with a book, a major well, issue. Are that you I ending? Have. The ending. The ending. The, this ending here, where Paul ends up killing. Uh, Fade Ralva. Um, I don't feel because we now have a Messiah who has taken down pretty much the Emperor, right? He's he's come in, done all of this, and I get this awesome fight. It'd be Darth Vader versus Luke Skywalker, right? That there's this epic duel that happens, but Fade Ralva is not a comparable character at this point to Paul Atreides. This is bringing in a fifth stringer. It is. Like, I, never do I feel yeah, Fedralva is not is not the equal. Um, this is not an epic showdown at the end. This is something that I know Paul will win. Well, it, it does not seem to flesh him out as being then a powerful god-man. But then it does show, it does show um, kind of the pettiness of the Emperor versus Paul's True. honor. Mm-hmm. Because Fedralva is essentially Goes in, gets killed. The emperor looks at Count Fenring. It's like you, you, you're next. You kill him. You kill him. And Fenring's like, no, yeah, yeah no, 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 I'm not going to do this. And then he gets, and then the emperor throws a tantrum, right. uh, and to, like soothe the tantrum, he's like, uh, how about you give me your daughter, and we'll call it even. What? But Paul's Paul's real uh, opponent from the beginning is fate. No other opponent, Bob. That. True. Everything else is he'll, he'll pass all those tests. He really his his fight throughout the entire Dune universe here is the Dune universe. I see what is coming. I don't know how to avoid it. Well, and again, we so look at, we look at things. fate. Fate is, and we look at things too. And true, you know, even though Herbert's a Westerner, we look at things too from a Western sensibility. Of course. Mm-hmm. So having your having your wild wife. Broker the deal for your new royal wife. Yeah, we look at that as a little weird. Maybe, but again, that's a, that's a royalty thing that maybe we don't understand. But um, looking at your wife who just lost her child and going, well, you know, honey, for political reasons, I got to marry this other chick here. But you're my real wife. She's just a royal concubine. I actually and, love and that term. And, and that's how we end the. That's how the book ends. So I got to ask you: Do do you guys feel that we're left here? Because I think this will play into if we go into the when we go into the other books. Um, where do you think Paul is at? What are we supposed to take away with Paul? Is is he our hero? Is he a god man that we should think? When we read about his rise, are we supposed to feel inspired? Is this our for now, character? For now, I would you, say. Because I don't even temporarily. Think I don't even know if we're being left at a great spot here. No. He has led his people in the jihad. They've overthrown their uh, oh. oppressors. 
But at the same time, I mean, he's, like you're saying, weirdly taking this comp concubine of Irulan, mm -hmm. which he's got no relationship with, um, making Chani broker this deal. I, I don't, I feel like this is kind of messy, which is good, a good thing, but he is not a I love messiah. You. I love you, but point. I gotta breed with this woman now. Yeah, it's it's very <laughs> it's very dirty feeling. Well, one thing this. that we miss when uh, they try to get Fenring to kill Paul, yeah, like Paul can't sense him, like he can't right. really say who's this guy. He doesn't know. It's like a hole in his vision. Yeah, and you find out that he was a pseudo Quizark Satarak, uh -huh. Fenring. Oh, that's right. But apparently, uh, you need to have balls to become a Quizark Satarak because he, <laughs> he's a eunuch. Right. So there's a genetic deformity. Which, so, is, which explains why he's okay with his wife banging other people. Exactly. Oh, okay. But so for me, it's like, oh, there's another one before him. Or they've been trying to do this oh, for a while. Right, 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 right. I forgot and about the balls thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's like, oh, so they've been trying to breed this person for a while. So right. is it godlike or is he just he's Superman? Been, he's a Super pawn that's been used in this political structure. Mm. Very interesting, which we will see well, when we get to do the And the emperor, and, but we end, we end on such a meh. I agree. The, the emperor doesn't die. The emperor gets to keep his family in power. Um, he gets to marry off his daughter to the new emperor. Uh, we have all this going on, and we have all like this, this royal machination that happens. And again, I don't understand the whole, like, I love my wild woman. At least the wildling chick died in... You know why? Because I've said Dune is a bowl of oatmeal, and it finishes just like you would a bowl of oatmeal. You kind of take that breath of like, oh, this is a big bowl, and you just kind of you, you, you scrape up that last little bit, you put it in your mouth, and you're like, you're not happy about it. You're totally ambivalent about that last swallow of oatmeal. Story of my youth. You kind of feel too, um, to go back off your reference here, Bob. Too, I think you kind of feel too that you get to like these last like couple pages here. Where we wrap up this whole marriage and we do all this thing, it's like we finish the battle. He kills Fayad. We find out about the about Fenring. Mm. He gets thrown in there as a quasi Quidzak Hatterack, and then Herbert takes a breath and goes, "Oh God, that was a big bull." Yeah. Oh, how do I end this? Oh yeah, we're gonna marry off the dog. You were talking about your what was it? Not clitoral rhythm, but but you need to have that's not a rhythm. That's more of a spinning but, but, action. But you're saying the rhythm, and then at the you beginning, need, you need to have clitoral rhythm yeah. with your coil rhythm. Yeah. So the coital, but then you not said at the end, rhythm. that's more of a spin. That's yeah. like a spin action. So counterclockwise, because clockwise is for sluts. So you said he keeps hammering to you, right? The whole book. You are making this so difficult. You are making this so difficult. Were you going to save any of this? I know. Maybe. <laughs> no, so he's hammering home the rhythm and then the book just stops. Yeah. It's like you're. Herbert's always that's edgy. But he's that's always edgy. But that's what Herbert says. Herbert knew yes. he was doing it. He's like this sick old man that was writing this book yeah. that was going, like, literally, I am going to do this coital rhythm. Here it comes. Up, Here it comes. Up to Here it where comes. you want it to go. Nope. And then he literally says in his own words, and then you pull out and shoot it all over the back. Basically, <laughs> is what he says. I'm never giving you what you want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Israel Keys. <laughs> and, she, and, and she was that and I do feel too like 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 the book is that close to like orgasming yeah and then he pulls out and stops and like rolls over 
And he's sitting there kind of, <laughs> just he, leaves her he there. giggles about just. this, thinking he's being <laughs> profound. This is profound. This is super profound that I've done this. And it's, no, no, no. It's unsatisfying. Not I, when the I, book's I, that big. No, it's a lot of this. I, I, I love, well, we should just get into final thoughts. Should we get yes, into final thoughts on doing? Final thoughts on doing. Let me put on my, my final thoughts pants. Luke, you've read through this tome. <laughs> <laughs> what are your final thoughts on, dude? I, I mean, I'm glad I didn't. I mean, if that's if that's any like nod to where I'm going on this, um, yeah, it's I mean, exactly what I just got done saying before we got into final thoughts. It's too thick of a bowl of oatmeal to not puke. have. Stop making this. Freaking you know, that, that being said, it's really no bigger than Iron Gold. It's like reading Iron Gold. But you know, Iron Gold is fun. Had a, had a climax. <laughs> it was fun. It's super fun. Um, yeah. So you know, and, I, and because I didn't read, the, I didn't actually read the book. But all I can tell you is, I don't feel like I want to. Um, and I'd at least say, you know, give the movie a shot. Maybe it's your kind of your kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe, you know, if if I was in a, the right mindset, I probably would have right. enjoyed it more. I'm not saying, ooh, I'm not saying I hated the movie. Right. But I don't, again, it's, it's just, such, it, it, it's a long movie. Right. If it was shorter, if it, I don't, yeah, if you just condensed it a little bit, got, got a little bit more action in there, probably would have been really good. Mm-hmm. But, I don't know, I'm sitting here kind of, Neutral, neutral. Little, little more a little oatmeal. A little more on the negative side. Full oatmeal. Yeah. A club. Don't you? Hey, kids. Uh. <laughs> I think as we get to the end of this, I'll just crawl up inside myself. What <laughs> <laughs> That being said, yep. hey, kids. <laughs> I think when we get to the end of this, we're really left with the ultimate question of how are we supposed to see Paul? Are we supposed to see, and all of the stuff that's set in, all of these like diary entries from Princess Erlon, the, yeah. part, the parts of her book. Yep. I kind of enjoy them. I'm confused as to whether I'm supposed, now when we get to the end and it ends like this, I'm confused as to whether I'm supposed to see Paul as... It, are those entries from Princess Erlon, are they praising a great leader? I don't think or, so. Or are, are they, are, or are they criticizing the possibility of someone who could become a wrathful leader later on? On mm-hmm. which, which side of the coin are we supposed to be on? I want, the way stories go and the way the plot lines go and the way you look at it, I want to be mo- much more comfortable with Paul by the end of this. Right. But I don't know where he sits. And going back and thinking about all that Princess Erlon stuff and all those entries that we're getting from her books and from her writing, is she talking about Paul as like a as as a Jesus or a Buddha figure or something like that? Or is she really talking about him setting up to be that false god or that antichrist situation? Yeah. And so I... Again, it's a classic science fiction novel. It is something that if you claim to be a science fiction person, you need to read. You need to force yourself to go through it. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie, the old movie just doesn't do it justice. There's Again, you can't cram 800 pages in two hours. Mm-hmm. No. Maybe don't start with the movie. Yeah. Um, I would say no. 
but this idea of does even Paul know where he's going? And I just I wanted much more of a night. I wanted wanted much more of a bow on the end of this. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether whether Herbert was planning sequels at the time or not, but I'm really just kind of left. I don't know where he's going, and I don't know why. And again, you get to the end, and like we talked about, you get to the end, and it's just kind of a. Uh. That definitely crossed my mind when we were recording this. Was he planning a sequel? Nope. No. Nope. Nope. I don't think he ever had a sequel in mind. But the, uh, it was done as a six-part series in Analog Magazine. It did pretty well. Oh, and that's right. It, yeah, it, 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 about that it gained a lot of underground support, and as it generated that, he's like, "Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna crank out a sequel, which is like a third the size of this book." Well, and we, we, we have had, in human history, we have had all of these Masonic figures. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we tend, to, we, we, we tend to, in our heads, remember the peaceful ones in a, more, mm-hmm. in a more positive light than the violent ones. Even if the violent ones ended up doing some good at the end, or anything else like that. Uh, I'm also very concerned about the, the Fremen at this point. Um, are the Fremen, are they, are, is this whole thing gearing up for the Fremen to be the protectors of peace, you know, the, the white knights that we want them to be? Or are they going to be soldiers that can now leave the planet and go over and take over the rest of the galaxy mm-hmm. in a brutal and, and, and you know, um, native way or a brutal and, like, savage way? Because of how right. they've been set up. So there's just there's too many questions here at the end. I'm glad we did it. I'm glad I read it. Um, I, I'm not going to read the sequels. I may listen or watch some yeah. of the sequel movies or anything like that, but I'm not going to read the sequels because I'm, I'm tired. I'm tired, man. I'm tired, y'all. I'm, I'm tired, tired, y'all. y'all. Um, um, so yeah. I'm, I'm really kind of, I'm, I'm really in the middle at the end of this. I'm glad we did it. I'm glad I finally, you know, read it again as an adult. Uh, looking at it, but I'm I'm kind of in the middle about how I feel about it. Ted, you are the Kitsack Hatterack of the group. <laughs> more deep, more deep. I think I think actually I think he's more Kitsack Hatterack. I think DP is more more deep. I think you guys can split that between you. You're from it. You're definitely from um, Yes. Worker of the land. <laughs> so Ted, where, where where are you where are you sitting as we wind down? Native the, beauty there is to you. As we uh, wind down the end of <clears throat> I still enjoy doing a lot. I, I don't really have a problem with the ending, only because I think Herbert's ultimate take on societies is that you're just replacing one evil with another evil, even if it's cloaked for a long time under the guise of progress or saviors or doing... It, it's always two-sided. So no matter what, mankind uses religion throughout history to subjugate others, kill others in the name of their god. None of that ever changes depending on who the god is. It's just a, a cycle of violence and death, which I think Paul already sees coming down the pipe. So the conflicted feelings of the reader probably mimic what Paul feels, which is that I avenged my dad, I won this battle, but ultimately, uh, great suffering is going to come uh, no matter what. So that's how I feel, and that's how I feel about humankind in general. I actually, I, I, I really like that take on it, Ted. I, so, re- I really like the way you put that. Yeah, so like, I I don't know, but I do enjoy Dune uh, nostalgically, including the movie. Um, I don't always love Herbert's um, deep dives into psychological uh, states of mind and everything kind of filling in a lot of our pages here. I like it and I don't like it. So I I enjoy the book. I would recommend the book with the, the catch that be prepared for what you're getting into. Mm-hmm. And as a continuation of the series, 
um, which we'll get into another another episode. Uh, it doesn't really get any more exciting, so I guess. Um, <laughs> oh no! You know, just oh, like good. sorry, sign me. Here's up. seven conversations in seven different rooms. Um, but I like it. I I think groundbreaking for what he wrote. It obviously influenced a lot of other sci-fi. And unfortunately, sometimes I think it just kind of gets bogged down in his heady Herbert um, thinking. But right. I, I liked. I, I'll always love Dune, probably because my brothers made me watch a movie. But <laughs> and the He-Man toys. Nice. But uh, I would yes, I give it three and a half spicy potatoes in honor of Luke. <laughs> uh, yeah. Sorry, Luke. Three and Actually, half I give it. I probably give four. Probably four. Yeah, I'd you, spit the other one back in I your mouth. Was that a spicy potato guy? No, I, I, I was a spicy potato guy. But maybe I would. I don't know. But either way, I'm still going to punch you. Either way, it's still going in your mouth. So, uh, <laughs> But I don't know. Ultimately, Danny, you and I came into this loving Dune, and we've slowly been beaten down by Luke's apathy. <laughs> How do you feel now at the end of it? I think I could have predicted Luke's response. He's just a, <laughs> just a turd about these things. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not an educator or enlightened like these guys. Wow. <laughs> Are you a bus driver? So, just, Do you know what kind of I, I, daggers I, I, bus drivers were throwing yesterday? I'm just, I'm just a simple man. I don't have one of these yeah. fancy degrees. I got an inside job. Danny, Danny P, Big DP, we have an international audience. Oh, well, yeah. So, okay. I'm just a fan. I'm a fan of the book, and I this is like my third or fourth time either listening to it or reading it, and you still discover something new. I mean, you can't remember everything in this no. thick, disgustingly detailed <laughs> book. That's a very good but, point. But I yeah, love it I because agree. there's so many nuances that we never even got into, oh. like even close. Oh, like they yeah. have their own battle language, hand yeah. signals. That's true, yeah. Keywords that they say to like all of a sudden they're all up in arms ready to kill everybody with the word. I mean, right. that kind of detail I really like. But then right. you get into the moving furniture stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit old. Exactly. But, but no, I, I listened to, I think I did an audiobook on the rest of these books. Yeah. I, I don't think I read anything past this one. Right. But I did, and this was like 10 years ago, I listened like all like, I can't remember if there's 14 or 21 books yeah, into this. Yeah, And it gets nuts. Oof. Yeah. Well, like, Messiah's crazy. People get God nuts. Emperor gets, yeah. God Emperor gets just yeah, Daffy. Yeah. Isn't that the way it always Daffy. happened? <laughs> Daffy. Yeah. It, but it gets crazy. And then the, his final book is Chapter House. Yep. Which again, you pull out. It just it just kind of spews all over. Yeah, spews, <laughs> and then he dies. So then his son takes over. <laughs> but I enjoyed it. I'm always a fan. Um, I like reading it again. So right, yeah, for sure. Oh, thumbs up. Read it. Give it a thumbs get, up. Get the audio book if you don't want to read, because then you don't have to worry about the pronunciations. Yeah, <laughs> I'd have to encounter that because I. Uh, the audiobook actually was a struggle. This is one of the first books I've done all audio, and it was an incredible struggle for me because I'm finding that when I read, I need to see the names as well as just hear them. And so things would get cluttered as to who was doing what. Uh, the pronunciation that different readers were doing would be sometimes different. So I found the audiobook actually a big struggle in this and wished if I could go back and redo anything, I would have gone back and read the book for this instead of listening to it audibly. Um, but for me, uh, this book is something that I would agree with with Klob, that um, this is a seminal work of science fiction, and if you call yourself a science fiction fan, uh, this is 
like an oasis in the desert. You have to start here. Uh, so much flows from this wellspring um, to have a, a conversation about what future science fiction authors and movie producers would do. There's so much used and borrowed and homage to Dune that you really owe it to yourself as a fan to start at this book. But it is homework. Uh, I, I feel like for most modern readers, now there's probably a litany of listeners who are older like us and have I grew up the, with the movie. I like the movie for nostalgic reasons. I like it for visual reasons. Um, and the book, you know, because it was always there growing up. But for a modern audience looking for something new to read, it's gonna be it's gonna be homework. This is gonna be a homework piece in a lot of ways. It's not gonna be filled with a lot of the um, intrigue. Well, it's shock and awe. The shock and awe that is more the staple. I, I feel like a, again only because we've done them on the show. Um, we'll just get, I'll keep referencing Pierce Brown is uh, Pierce Brown being a person who can balance political intrigue along with incredible battle scenes and and action to keep that adrenaline constantly pumping, but at the still side. Same time, being able to be introspective. This is really heavy on the introspection. I don't love the parts where we're constantly in people's minds and what they're thinking. They'll say something, then we'll know what they're thinking as they're saying it. And the other person will say something, and we'll know what they're thinking as they're saying it. And that can be cool, and at other times it gets really heady and real tough to do. Well, and I think you look at how Herbert did it, too, and the way, the way Herbert's prose is written. You look at Philip K. Dick. Philip K. Dick is super heady. Yeah, but it—I I feel that that's written in a little bit more of an accessible, very noirish or yeah. something. Yeah, it yeah, moves yeah. along. It clips along. Yeah, it feels like yeah. Philip K. Dick feels like feels like an old. Always feels like to me. Most of the stories feel like an old a pulp detective yeah. novel set in a sci-fi franchise. He's a pulp pulp sci-fi writer that's way too good for what he's doing. Yes, he transcends the genre. Where, whereas Herbert's good. It's just oh god. Okay, I have to like. I have to like sit down and take a breath after I read this yep. passage. Yep. Uh, that now I'm going to be uh, horrible and say that there is part of me that also thinks, kind of like Bob Dylan. I'm going to liken him to Bob Dylan. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Bob, if you take shots at Bob Dylan. I'm going to take shots at Bob Dylan. Um, Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan. Uh, uh, an icon of American music. His his writing uh, will is unparalleled in terms of songs. I'm going to throw it out there. There was an entire generation of people who are in love with Bob Dylan, not so much because he is a great singer, because I don't think he is. I think he's a great songwriter. He is not a great singer, uh, although maybe he's your speed. I don't know. Um, but he is idolized in a lot of ways because not only for what he wrote, but because of the time frame in which he did it and that he solidified a movement and an idealism and a way of believing and I think Herbert is part of that where he transcended science fiction for a while and his ideas and his headiness were bigger you know he brought more seriousness to a genre that was full of Flash Gordon Right. Um, it's a very and, good point. And so people who first stumbled upon Herbert in the 60s, it went right along with the mindset, and it was amazing and transformative. He doesn't hold the same weight, I don't think, anymore in our modern society because we're now post-Herbert. <laughs> we're in a post-Herbert yeah. society that for modern modern readers, it's not going to carry uh, yes. the same transformative yes, way. The year is 32 pH. <laughs> Post-Herbert. <laughs> We've been lost for decades. <laughs> and we know not where we are. Save us. 
Save us. We Save us, Mwadib. We were 13 light years out of Arrakis when the drugs kicked in. <laughs> Shut this thing down. All right. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, folks. Uh, look us up on Facebook. Come talk to us. Join the conversation. We want to hear from you. We want to talk with you. We'll talk with you on Facebook. You may even get on the show. Actually, you'll probably get on the show. Um, eventually, Luke will start tweeting again. So, uh, okay. So, Lucas started tweeting at his up on tw- uh, Twitter. Twitter is which? What is our username at on Twitter? D and Dweebs. All right. Dungeons and Dweebs on Facebook. Oh, uh, respond to anything we post because that will get stuff onto the show so we can use it as feedback. And by all means... Sure. If you've enjoyed the show, even if you haven't, tell your friends. Um, let us. <laughs> even if you didn't like it, uh, dry stuff. If you if you if you didn't like this, give a lame nerdy friend that you think would. I'm just saying. Yeah, you're right. Um, again, if you agree with us, if you don't agree with us, we're here for the conversation. We are fanboys. We are fanboys at heart. We are fanboys when we get down into it. We are here to have the conversations about this kind of stuff because we dig it. We did we did Dune because we wanted to do Dune because we are still at our core fanboys of the science fiction of the fantasy um, looking at what we're going for Bob what is what is uh, what are we looking at on our calendar yeah so here? join join coming right up uh, probably fairly quick hot off the heels of this one same month in June here hopefully we can get off deeper delves uh, well, we're going deep. We're Late going deep. June. Yeah, Ted, yeah, Ted, the big DP, and Paul is coming in to round out the roundtable as we're going to tackle uh, Dune Messiah and Children of Dune is what we got slated. Uh, we are then jumping over, doing a quick one-off for uh, Rendezvous with Rama, and then... The Summer of Lance 3. Yeah, man. You, I mean, you guys can go and do Rama. Lance Harder. Oh, and there it is. <laughs> Actually, I thought it was Summer of Lance 3, Lance with Vengeance. Lance with a Vengeance. Lance Harder. <laughs> I like Lance, Lance Harder. Harder. Lance Harder. But Lance Harder would be two. Um, <laughs> We're going to have to have an executive meeting. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, you, you guys can go on and do Rama. It's summertime. I'm going to crack open some Dragon Lance and... Lance and Bella. Get so, so one half of the table here is going to be cracking open Soul Forge already, yes. right? And, and Soul Forge. It's going to start reading them while we we quickly clean up a bunch of the spice droppings of Dune. <laughs> See what's in the can that is, the spinning can that is Rama. Uh, and then, then we'll come meet up and join with you guys for Soul Forge. So again, thank you folks. We love doing this. Um, we love all our listeners that keep keep rising and all, all our uh, subscribers and our downloads. We appreciate it. Again, hit us up on Facebook. Hit us up on Twitter. Danny, you're leaving us after this one. So, well, yeah, he's, coming, he's coming on a deeper down. Well, okay, you're leaving the main show. So yeah. do you have any last words for the main show listeners? No. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I thought something profound was going to come out of there. (laughs) Well, with that response, you owe us the next three pitchers of Spice Dale. Yeah, sweetheart, come over here. It's okay. Oh, oh, have you been living in the water? I love your blue eyes, sweetheart. Can I gaze into them? Thank you for listening to this episode of Dungeons and Dweebs. There's even more adventuring to be had on our website, DungeonsandDweebs.com. We would love to hear from you. You can email us at dungeonsanddweebspodcast at gmail.com. You can also find Dungeons and Dweebs on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Find all those links at dungeonsanddweebs.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please help spread the word by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. The music for Dungeons and Dweebs is Fatal Fight by Royalty Free Kings and can be found at their website, royaltyfreekings.com. 
Dungeons and Dweebs is a Tim Gilbert Media Production. Copyright 2017, all rights reserved. And no part of the show can be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the expressed written permission of Tim Gilbert Media. Where will you be? Uh, uh, we have listeners in Belgium. Where else are you going? Is Spain, this by, is Spain this Italy, France, uh, Portugal, Iceland. We have nobody in Spain, Ooh, I, but I we have Italy. Is now. this? Uh, now let me ask you this, Ted. Is this by chance a honeymoon? <laughs> no, no, definitely are you not. Are <laughs> uh, With Frank's words, that's it. Uh, he's coming with me. Um, <laughs> I'm jealous of Iceland. I've, I've always wanted to go there. I'll send you pictures. Yes. Yes. Of warm bodies and cold <laughs> climates. The amount of stuff that Hot bonds, All I do is bonds. edit the shit you say. <laughs> all I do. There was nothing wrong with that. It's creepy. <laughs> <laughs> oh. so, Folks, just imagine what doesn't actually get me out. <laughs> Visit our Patreon to find out. That's, yeah. Not, yeah, no. that's not a thing. Not a thing. Uh, okay. But, but uh, passing on. What I've really been thinking about is what Danny's going to be doing. So I want him <laughs> to tell us. <laughs> I've been touching myself a lot, thinking about Ted and his glasses. <laughs> See, all this is getting cut. <laughs> 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 I've been touching myself. I'll hang my wife from all of it. All of it. All of it. Okay. So we uh, throw it to throw it to Danny again. So we're, we're throwing it into Danny. Have at it. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> no? Danny. I'm glad I'm off now because this is all I'm going to do for two days straight. Daniel, please tell us uh, what you've been up to. Jesus. <laughs> it's great. I'm sorry. Super sorry. What is the first book that you read that made you uncomfortable? And, th- and you thought, like, you know, you're of that age that you. You weirdly read it, and you're like, oh, my parents can, like, read what's on the page through yeah, my Yeah, two words, penthouse forum. <laughs> That's all I need to know. Oh, what? Yep, thought it was short I'm story. I'm legitimate <laughs> literature. <laughs> I thought it was short. Okay. Wait, no, 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 I have to, I, I, all of this is getting cut. <laughs> what I have do you to, mean? I have to jump, I have to jump in here, because they used to have, and my grandfather used to have them at the lake cabin. Yes. They used to have the paperback where it was just penthouse forum. Thought it was Reader's Digest. They used to, okay, yeah, they so it's like a Reader's say, Digest. So yeah. you found this. Found it, thought it was normal, just reading it. Not Normal. It was a Reader's Digest. Yes. I remember that. Yeah. No, I got a similar story. We're riding in the work in some guy's car, and there was like this booklet underneath all this garbage in the back seat, and it was like some penthouse letters. Yeah, penthouses made us all deviants. Think about it. Wow. It's terrible. I was Influenced our whole life. Legitimate literature, but okay. <laughs> it's legitimate. I've, I've written a few. <laughs> Bob, Bob, I'll back you up here Safari. because I will say. Thank you. I will say my first one was Spell for Chameleon. Just, just call Pete and Bob's uh, investigative services. We'll get to the bottom of your wife's improprieties. <laughs> She's been flirting with another workout company. It's also a market leading manufacturer of precision test and measuring equipment to the tobacco industry. Hmm. Shakeology is kind of like the bed pyramid of Cheops. And uh, she looked over at Giza and sees a pyramid that's. Much finer. I'll show you a pyramid. 
Oh, we're going? Whenever you're ready. Uh, who wants to lead us in? Because I don't... Okay, can, before we ever... We even start this. Can I, uh, you're doing a great job of leading this through. From this point on, I don't know what the f*** happens in most of this book. Because I just started listening to this at night as I was falling asleep. And I'd fall asleep. I don't really know what's happening in most of this end. I'm going to I'm gonna pull a... I don't know. Okay. So I have a way, I, I have a way to get in there. Right. Get in. All right, so we roll here into book three and... Uh, don't start that way. Because I can't edit it that way. Because it's like we end a statement and then you go, All right! <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so we ended the statement, we got out of there. And... It's two years later. <laughs> now we are two years. Two years have passed since the events of book two. 